Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, what the heck happened right there, huh? Saturday night, the Jazz lost to Minnesota at home for the second time. They've beaten almost everybody in the league this year. They've swept a bunch of teams. But for whatever reason, 0-2 against the Wizards, 0-2 against the Suns, and 0-2 against the Wolves. You know, you can explain the 0-2 against the Suns, although you don't like it. They're having a really good year. And they got you twice. And the one in Phoenix was in overtime. And the first one was way early when neither team was really playing that well because the Jazz started 4-4 and and the Suns started 8-8. and It's harder to rationalize the Wizards away. Uh, they have played very well against elite teams in the league. I think 6-2 and against the Nets and the Clippers and the Jazz and somebody else. Uh, Bucks, I think. Maybe the Suns, but I think it's the Bucks. Um, or they get up for big games, and they got two wildly talented guys, and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I don't really like it, but I don't know how you can do it. The Wolves, nothing. I got nothing for you. Nothing. I can rationalize the Suns easily. It's hard work to rationalize the Wizards, but I can do it. And I can't even begin to rationalize the Timberwolves. How did that happen? I mean, we have the Timberwolves beat writer on. He's saying, yeah, they're terrible defensively. Jazz are just turning the ball over left and right. And I know they didn't have Donovan Mitchell. But they're good enough, and they're deep enough. And the Wolves are bad enough that they should have won that game anyway. I mean, I, I, just, I don't even see how you, can, <laughs> how you can if, but, whatever that away. I'm the king of that stuff. I could not possibly begin to do that. Even if I don't believe it, I can at least see the path. I mean, it's kind of like the Wizards. I don't really believe it. But I can see the path. Yeah, it's terrible to happen to the Jazz. But look at all these other teams that happened to. <laughs> the Timberwolves. Oh, man. Jazz have only been held under 100 points four times this season. And the Suns were one of them when they beat them on that uh, New Year's Eve game. But you can rationalize that away. It was like, oh, it was early in the year. They weren't, you know, they weren't clicking yet. They didn't quite have it. There is no way, even with Donovan Mitchell out, wearing whatever he borrowed from Jordan Clarkson. I don't know. We can get into that later this morning. Um, how, how does that happen? It, it's up on our Facebook page, and you can take a shot at it. You know, how does that happen? Go to DJ and PK. You can hit me up on Twitter, David DJ James. How? How does it happen? I know it's just one regular season game, and crazy things happen in the regular season. But how does that happen? (laughs) The Jazz should be three games up on the Suns and the Clippers right now. But they're not. They're two games up on the Suns and Clippers right now. And of all the playoff scenarios we can't rule out, don't rule this one out, Clippers one seed, Jazz and Suns fighting for the two and three. I don't think it'll happen. The Clippers have had to go 9-1 to get within two games. And the Clippers don't have the tiebreaker against the Jazz, so they have to pass the Jazz in the final dozen games. So if the Clippers cool off even a little and say go 9-3 and three in their last 12, the Jazz would have to go 6-6. Six and six. So I don't think it's going to happen. But we can talk about it now because you can't absolutely rule it out. You know, what if the Clippers go 10-2, and two, the Jazz go 7-5, and five, you know? It's, uh, it could happen. Big games this week, huge games. The Clippers are playing the Suns on Wednesday. And the Jazz are playing the Suns on Friday. Both those games are in Arizona. And it's, it's actually, tonight's a huge night in the NBA, in the, especially in this Western Conference with these three teams separated by two games. The Jazz are in Minnesota tonight, where obviously they ought to win since they've lost to the Wolves twice at home. They should not get swept by the Wolves. The Suns have to play the Knicks. They're at the end of a five-game road trip. They won the first two. They lost the next two. 
They're going back-to-back after losing to Brooklyn. Now they're still in New York. They don't have to travel. And the game was early in the day, so they got more recovery time. Uh, but the Knicks are hot. The Knicks have the longest winning streak in the NBA. Uh, nine in a row. Wizards have eight in a row. I mentioned the Wizards too much in this segment. And then the uh, Clippers are playing the Pelicans. And I would think they'd win. I think the Pelicans can win any one game. And I think we've certainly seen they struggle in close games. Uh, but you never know. Zion could go off, and you never know. So, interesting tonight with the top three teams in the West, all separated by two games, and all three of them playing. So, plenty of time for scoreboard watching, without a doubt. All right, DJ and PK, there you go. That's the uh, that's the big news in the NBA. I mean, there's other stuff that happened this weekend, and we'll get to it all coming up in an hour and what is trending. Um, Padres and Dodgers played a great series. The uh, And, of course, I think it was great because the Padres won three out of four, and that was a heck of a comeback uh, to win game four in extra innings after, after giving up that six-run inning. So that was um, – that was pretty cool. Um, Steph Curry just keeps going off. Wow, what a performance. What a performance. And uh, you got to give it up to uh, the Clippers who just keep rolling. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens. Uh, uh, Paul George gets it done. Maybe he really is ready for his breakout postseason. You know, that's the whole theory behind not picking the Jazz is they haven't suffered enough. And you got to suffer before you break through and enjoy the fruits and all the success and all that. And maybe Paul George has now suffered enough and he's figured it out. Maybe that's what's happening. All right. David Locke coming up. He visited us late on Friday. He didn't know the Minnesota loss was going to happen, but he did have prescient words on how the race was going to go in the next week and what it would mean. So that's what David Locke coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's time to welcome in David Locke. His weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, David James. Good morning, Patrick Kinahan. How is greatness this morning? About the same as every other morning. (laughs) Well, PK's never this. Oh, yeah, he is very regular. I've heard this too many times. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. You know, when you host a morning show for like 72 years, have you ever thought about how many hours... Your loyal listeners have spent with you, and how like how much they know about you. And ha- I mean, I know David. You try to make sure they know nothing about you, but even <laughs> under your greatest <laughs> attempts, they actually know stuff yep, about you. They do because of the amount of hours. Like it's like I, it's like I think about my podcast. Like I do a thirty-minute podcast. If somebody listens four times a week, they're spending two hours with me. Like they're spending like eight hours with you. How many people, let's go with like two hours. How many people do you spend two hours with in a week? My old lady? Yeah, family, immediate family. I'm not sure my wife actually wants two hours a week with me. I think that might be a lot for her, particularly considering the fact I used to travel like 90 days a year and I've been home for 13 months straight. But that's a side (laughs) note. Um, Uh, 
I think that so the uh, I'm that joking, up. actually. Um, <laughs> what was that, TJ? So funny you bring that up. I've had people like, well, you do radio in the morning, you do TV at night. I mean, how much are you home? And you know, how do you maintain a relationship? Like, my wife doesn't complain when I leave. <laughs> <laughs> right. like, well, I've, I have said this, and I mean this as a compliment to my wife, and it's actually like the message that like sometimes I'll share with like people if they're asking me. But like I think my wife is the person who needs me the least of any person I've ever met in my whole life. <laughs> like it's probably why we're fine. Like, she, like, hey, if you're around, it's great. I love having you around. But like I don't need you. Like I'm totally good on my own. I'm pretty like self-sufficient. I got two master's degrees. Like I'm way smarter than you. You can like – you know, uh, and I don't have to be the Disneyland sweeper when you're not home. So um, it's all good. She refers to herself as the Disneyland sweeper since I'm such a mess maker. Wow, that's interesting that you bring up her academic credentials because I think all three of us, our spouses, have higher academic cre- credentials than we have. Yeah. By the way, yep. you know those people that listen to us all the time? They're not surprised to hear this. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> You said that like it's a revelation. Anyone who's heard the three of us is not surprised that people have better academic accolades than we do. David, I want you to look into the future now. When we Actually, talk to you, I want to talk about. I'm derailing the show. Uh, I found something again? this morning in my research, and I want to share it with you. All right. Can I do that? Sure. Why not? <laughs> So we've talked all year about Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert Uh and how they figured each other out offensively. Yeah. But actually the real story of the season is they figured each other out defensively. Like the defense is seven points per hundred possessions better this year when Gobert and Conley are on the floor together than it was last year. So maybe that's just Mike being healthy. But that's pretty interesting to me because they're playing, well, two things. Mike went from playing 67% of his minutes with Rudy to 93% of his minutes with Rudy this year. So that's a pretty big change. And Mike was actually, we were totally all wrong last year in our analysis. Mike was really bad when he was on the floor with someone other than Rudy, and he was really good when he was on the floor with Rudy. His numbers offensively are almost exactly the same as what they were last year with Rudy. And last year when he was off with Rudy, he shot like 36% and 22% from three. But... The real story is that these guys figured something out defensively or the team did. And I don't, it's strange to me because our starting five is the same, right? Boyan didn't just become like some long, lengthy, great defensive three and Royce is still the same. So it's, it's, I'm curious. I'll ask Quinn tonight in the coaches show actually about this. Like I'm wondering what happened that they figured what they figured out defensively. Cause that is actually the story of the season as much as anything and why they've gone from being the 11th-ranked defensive team to the number two defensive-ranked team. The defense was our story that we're telling is we added Derek Favors, and so our defense has gone from 11th to 2. That's actually not true. The defense with Derek Favors on the floor is virtually the exact same as what it was last year with Rudy off the floor. So that what has actually happened is the defense with Rudy has gotten way better than it was a year ago, and it's really with Mike Conley and Rudy. Okay, I just had to share. I'm sorry. To derail your show, take over again. Well, I feel like I need to follow up on that right now. Is it any more complex, or maybe it is, but at least 90% of the deal is, if Rudy's on the floor and you're one of the other four defenders, you've got to... You've got to be up on your guy and give them no room to shoot a jumper. And if you get beat off the dribble, so what? They're going into Rudy. But don't foul him and put him at the free throw line. And don't give them, a, give them an uncontested jumper. 
And if if you live by those two rules, given who Rudy is and how he plays defensively, aren't you going to be a pretty good, if not great, NBA team? Well, this is why we allow the fewest threes of anyone in the league because of that principle. And then we think we're about ninth or tenth in the league at shots at the rim. And teams shoot. Are you ready for this note? Fourth. Percentage points lower at the rim when Rudy is there as a defender than mm-hmm. average. Fourteen percent. So yes, there's something that Rudy is so great. Like I think we know, but I'm not even sure we totally know. Like we know way more than the rest of the country because we watch him every night. But I'm not, and I'm like you know have my mansion on top of go bear Island and the rest of the population is now emigrating in and I'm going to have to build a wall or something. But like it is even for myself, who's like the biggest Rudy supporter in the world. I actually not sure that I fully get his impact on the game. Like to some extent in just the simplest form, like our narrative last year was Mike Conley struggling and this year it's he's not. Well, he's playing with Rudy for 96-3% of his minutes now. Who who was the guy that wasn't struggling last year that is struggling this year? Boyan. Boyan played 93% of his minutes with Rudy last year and 67% this year. Like the Jets flipped the rotation and let Conley play all of his minutes with Rudy, and Boyan's not playing all of his minutes with Rudy anymore. Like it, I don't know if it's that simple, but I'm beginning to wonder if not only is he just the greatest defensive player in the world, but he just makes – everyone's offensive life so much better with what he does. And, you know, screen assist is this cute stat, but there's absolutely nothing different than a screen assist than an actual assist, if you think about it. And so we've always talked about point guards, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas, Chris Paul, and how much better they make everyone. Devin Booker is actually the exact same as he was a year ago, side note. They, we've all talked about that. But the fact of the matter is Rudy's doing the exact same thing as a point guard by freeing people, getting people open, presence, gravity. It's just incredible. Wow, that's awesome, man. This franchise is going to have the leader in career assists and the leader in career screen assists. That, and it is worth a banner, <laughs> damn it. That's where I was going. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> I need someone to screen. I need somebody who's good at Photoshop to send me at DLock09 on Twitter a screen, uh, a Photoshop with the new banner, Rudy Gobert, all time screen assist leader, right next to John Stockton and Mark Eaton. (laughs) Well, I guess maybe get back in ten years and and uh, maybe we'll we'll see that up there. That's all. uh, it's all fascinating stuff, no question. Uh, one of the things that has gotten me mystified is how, at 33 years of age, <clears throat> is Joe Ingles not only elevated elevated his game, but he's elevated like almost like a certainly borderline all-star level. How do I explain that? So I think one is you got to give Joe great credit. I think I listened to him with you, and he talked to either this interview or the last one. Don't tell Joe, but I actually like make sure I hear that show every time. Um, but I think he talked about Renee and her nutrition and stuff and how he's kind of followed in that step. So I do think he just deserves great credit for this body's way better than it was before. And he's worked really hard at that. Um, Quinn deserves great credit last year during the bubble. I found a stat and I need to actually go update it that Joe was the number one shooter in the NBA in like the first six seconds of the shot clock. I think it was, um, 
might have been first eight seconds, but Joe was the best in the NBA over the last three years in the first six seconds of the shot clock. My biggest frustration with Joe last year, particularly in the playoffs and in the bubble, was he was so obsessed with going back to get the ball because he wanted his hand to play pick and roll because he really wants to be a point guard. And you even heard him joking about that whole Mike Conley thing this week when he was on with you about how they joke about how they both can't play well if everyone's healthy, mm-hmm. right? Like that's because they both want their ball in the hands. But the problem for, is with Joe doing that is he takes away his greatest strength. And his greatest strength is getting up the floor and getting that early transition three. And that's where he's actually the best player in the entire league. Like, he's the best. Over the last three years, at shoot, when he shoots in the first six to eight seconds in the shot clock, there's nobody better. And so you're seeing Quinn has opened up this door to the whole team and, set, and basically Joe's taking advantage. Quinn had a fascinating comment on the Zoom yet, uh, the other day about how Jordan Clarkson's kind of unabashed gunnerisms or whatever you want to call it of like just has freed everyone else on the team like well if Jordan get away with it then I can get away with it but it's led to this freedom of how they're playing and Joe in particular is who Quinn talked about as seeing like well if Jordan's gonna do that I'm gonna do it but that's exactly what they wanted out of Joe this whole time is that they wanted Joe to get up floor get that early pass or when he leads the break to do it faster not waiting for Rudy for his pick and roll or phase for his pick and roll but to get up the floor and take that three. And Joe is just tremendous early in the shot clock with his three-point shooting, and that's what's changed his game this year. It's a historic season. It's so much more valuable and important that anyone is taking an understanding of. This is the like last thing for this league to figure out, is that like Kyle Korver five years ago when Atlanta won 60 and no one knew why, was the only player to ever have a better shooting year than Joe. Quite frankly, we're on the pace to win 60, like, equivalently, and no one's quite sure why. Like, well, the reason is because of Joe Ingles. And Joe, Ing- I can make a really strong argument that Joe Ingles is the most positively impactful offensive player with his possessions. I mean, actually, that's just true. I don't even have to make the argument. Of anyone on our, on our roster, so um, including Donovan, including anyone else. So when you suddenly start kind of trying to figure out what this means. It means everything. It's incredible. Then you add in that he's just such an elite-level pick-and-roll player, and that's a little bit of the trick with him is that, you know, hey, you're a great pick-and-roll player, but you're actually even better at this other aspect of the game, so please get down the floor so we can get you the ball. So it was viewed as gimmickry, but was Paul Westhead right 30 years ago when he had Loyola Marymount running up and down the court, gunning, trying to score 150 points? Was he really onto it? Um, you know, what's interesting is I actually watched that 30 for 30 yesterday, um, like over again, like I got Roku and like, it just comes up really easily on my Roku and I was like, Oh, I'll watch that again. So I watched that whole 30 for 30 on Paul Weston. I, I guess, I mean, Quinn has talked about it all season long that there is that, you know, everyone talks about good to great. And he's like, you know what? We did the analysis and really, really good is actually pro- at times is better than, what we were going to get otherwise. So if you got really, really good early, go, go grab it. And if you look at the jazz from 18 to 24 on the shot clock, so first six seconds, we take seven threes a game. We shoot 41% on those threes. It's the most of anyone in the NBA. 
And the only team that actually shoots them better than us in that span is Sacramento. Oh, I take it back is New York, but they don't take them. They take two a game. So that doesn't count. Um, is Sacramento at 41.5 and they don't take quite as many. If you take it to the first nine seconds of the shot clock, I believe we're slightly behind Milwaukee, but we still make about 39 to four, about 39.5%. And we're taking 16 threes a game in the first nine seconds of the shot clock. And that's when Joe's at his best. If everything holds, and this may be a little bit premature, but stay with me here. If that's the way it plays out, as as we expect at this point where we are right now, the stuff that you just mentioned, is that the formula to beat the Lakers in the second round? Yeah, it's the only way to beat the Lakers because their half-court defense is so great. By the way, I just pulled this up. This is incredible. You ready? This is great. I didn't actually know how to find this. I just found it. Joe Ingles has taken 60 threes. Let me make sure this is right. In the first six seconds of the shot clock this year. 60. How many of these made? 60. 30. 33. <laughs> nice. <laughs> He's His age? How about that? Three of 60 when he takes a three in the first six seconds of the shot clock. I mean, the key is that this team's got to keep running. They've got to keep pushing ahead. This is when they struggle offensively. And then when they play the Clippers and they play the Lakers, who are so long, you know, that that's they've got to be able to play this way. Listen to these numbers. I mean, I, this is where Paul Westhead is exactly right. First six seconds of the shot clock, Royce 41, Conley 41%, Donovan 38%, Bogdanovich 39%, Clarkson 40%, and Joe Ingles 55%. But 40% is 1.2 points per shot. That's the best. That's better than any. Like, that's the best offense in the NBA. So, if you can get that shot, you got to take it. And even if you take the next three seconds where we've taken a ton, all the guys are good except for Donovan. Joe is taking 62 additional threes from 15 to 18 on the shot clock. He's shooting 42% from 15 to 18. So, now we're in early offense, probably right, got down the floor for six seconds, made an extra pass or two, but we pushed it ahead enough so we're playing with an advantage. Clarkson's 38, Conley's 40, Bogdanovich is 38, Joe's 42, George is 40, Royce is 43. Only Donovan, who's probably walking into a three and not playing in the same manner there, is 33%. Like, that's a bad shot because our offense is, is good and Donovan can get a better shot throughout the – he's so talented he can get a shot better than that. I, yeah, we – these early, first nine seconds of the shot clock threes are 100% how the Jazz have to win in the NBA playoffs and 100% how um, that Paul Westhead had something going on there. Now, the lack of defense on the other side by Paul Westhead might not have been exactly right because <laughs> we get those shots off our defense. So when you give me all those, all those stats about scoring early in the shot clock, I assume that most of those shots, and as I close my eyes and try to visualize jazz games, that most of those shots are uncontested. And that's really what's driving those numbers up, is that when you run, you're getting uncontested shots, and Donovan's numbers could be lower because he's shooting his off the dribble. And when you're flying up court and you have to stop and get on balance to shoot a three, that's great if you're Steph Curry. It's really hard if you're anybody else on planet Earth. Um. 
I think Quinn is willing to have those be somewhat contested. I think that's the change that Quinn made for this for this team this year. Is that those shots take them if you're kind of open. I think there was a feeling you had to take you could only take them if you were totally open beforehand. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think his feeling is that that's Jordan Clarkson. Right. I might be open and other guys will hold on to it. And Jordan Clarkson, I might be open. It's going up. And Quinn says, we need more Jordan Clarksons. Right. And that that Jordan Clarkson has opened up to the rest of the guys to feel a little bit more willing to, to do that. How concerned are you with the Lakers having Drummond? How much of a difference do you think he can make? The more Drummond, the better. Explain. Uh, I think he's so he's a really interesting player. I don't want to just totally criticize him. It would be really fun for talk radio to do that, but probably having some responsibility as a you know play-by-play announcer in the league. But um, you know he's really interesting because he's got quick hands. He's got pretty deft light feet. Um, he's got a decent little second jump. He's a he's thought of as a good rebounder. I'm not totally convinced that he's a big out of area rebounder. But he's not quick in transition, so to what our point is right here, like if we're changing ends of the floor quickly, I would far rather have him on the floor. Marcus Sowell's not either. That's like one. Of, that's the Lakers' weakness, I think, is that they're the number one team in the league in transition defense, to their credit. Frank Vogel is just a great defensive coach. Frank Vogel is not being talked about for Coach of the Year, but what he's done defensively without AD and LeBron, I think, should be put him in that consideration. Um, he is a really, really bad offensive player. In fact, he's one of the most detrimental offensive players in the league. No touch. Um, His 3-for-12 game against Rudy is not uncommon. So any possession that he uses that is not being used by LeBron, AD, for that matter, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, I'm all good with. And I don't think he's a great pick-and-roll defender either. I could look up the numbers on that. But my instinct is he's not a great pick and roll defender. And so, whereas AD is, and so if you can get them, I mean, they're a great pick and roll defensive team. Again, their defense is just awesome. Um, But I I, I feel like you could take advantage of him in the pick and roll defense. With the Lakers this year, he's only in the 62nd percentile in pick and roll defense, which, you know, is not terrible, but it's that's a really good defensive team. I think if we went to Cleveland earlier this year and looked at his pick and roll defense maybe that's irrelevant it's in the 29th percentile he's a bad pick and roll defender he's david Locke. david thank you very much they know everything about you so worry about it dj okay i will see ya there's david Locke. when we come back the best of the jazz post game show what went wrong that's next take the zone with you wherever you go let's go download the all-new zone sports network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show from salt lake to shanghai provo to portugal or ogden to oslo wherever you go we'll tag along let's go download the new zone app by searching zone sports network wherever you shop for apps it's the zone sports network app from 97 1280 the zone and the zone sports network good morning dj and pk it's 97 5 and 1280 the zone the utah jazz get beat by the minnesota 
Timberwolves at home. Again, how do the Wolves, the 29th best team in the NBA, beat the team with the best record in the NBA? How does number 29 beat number one? Twice in Utah. Here's the best of the postgame show. They'll try to explain. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz lost at home to the Minnesota Timberwolves on Saturday night, uh, 101-96. It's the second time this year the Jazz have lost to the T-Wolves at home, going all the way back to December 26th. They actually play that very same Timberwolves team tonight in Minneapolis, but the the Jazz lost on Saturday at home. Uh, Bogdanovich led the way with 30 points. Uh, Mike Conley with 18 and 7 assists. Jordan Clarkson had 15 coming in off the bench. Tough night offensively for uh, for the Utah Jazz. They had 40 points in the first quarter and only managed 56 points there on out. Uh, made it a little bit close in the fourth quarter, but could not get the shots they needed to fall. Let's uh, let's get some postgame sound going. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. All right, we'll go ahead and get started here. Our first question will come from Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Coach, well, you had such a great first quarter, a 17-point lead. And what happened? And what did Minnesota do? What problems did they pose for you guys? Well, the, the first couple of minutes of the game, you know, we turned the ball over and we gave up a couple offensive rebounds. And then, you know, we had a stretch where we were really good in the glass and, you know, we took care of the ball and got good shots. And then, you know, as the game progressed, um, we fell back into that and ended up with, you know, with 20 turnovers and I don't know, I think 20 second chance points, you know, if we're going to give them 40% of their points on the offensive glass and, you know, our, our turnovers, we're going to make it hard on ourselves. And it impacts our, our offense too, because, you know, it's difficult for us to run. Um, you know, and get spaced and they're, they're a long athletic team. So if you're in the half court, you know, they're hard to, hard to play against. They eat up a lot of space and, and make it difficult. All right. Next question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. When we saw you call that timeout just a minute or two into the game to kind of address those early issues that you mentioned. And then as you say, you know, you sink back into them as the game progresses. Is it just an effort thing, or, or what, is, what do those issues come down to on a night like this? Well, I, I think it's focus as much as anything, however you want to categorize that. But, um, you know, th- th- this is not something that, that we're unaware of, um, and it just has to, you know, it has to be important every possession. Um, it can't just be important during certain parts of the game. And that's going to be crucial for us, um, you know, to, to, to win and particularly to win close ball games. If we're giving up, um, you know, we're giving up that many possessions, uh, you make it, you know, virtually impossible. You have to almost be perfect in other aspects of the game. Uh, next question, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. When it comes to the 20 turnovers, what I mean, where does that come from and how do you kind of solve that? Is it about simplifying the, you know, kind of making the decisions easier or I, I, I guess kind of explain what, what you'd want to see on that, that part of the ball? Well, some of it's as simple as just, it sounds simplistic, but just like don't, don't turn it over. 
and whatever you have to do in a given possession to not do that. Um, and it, it's collective, you know, obviously there's somebody with the ball that's either making a pass, um, but it's everybody spacing for each other. Um, so that you have those angles, you know, when you have players that, that are long, the, you know, passes are more difficult you just have to be more precise. Um, whether you have to be stronger with the ball, you have to use fakes more, um, you have to be more disciplined uh, to not, to not make those mistakes. And, you know, I thought we got, you know, I, I think four minutes left in the second quarter, we had a pretty good sized lead and we just have a tendency to get loose with the ball at times. And, you know, Minnesota had, you know, had a role in that and thought that they, you know, became really aggressive. Um, they started switching more, um, which made it more difficult for us to attack because they kind of built a perimeter. Um, but that's just when we have to be more determined to, to take care of it. And a lot of times for us, it's, you know, if we pass up a shot, um, you know, we pass up an opportunity to, to make a three and we drive into traffic. And at that point, you know, the, the percentages go way, way down, particularly for a team that shoots it as well as we do. Um, and whether that's being prepared to shoot or, you know, the accuracy of a pass hitting someone, you know, in a shooting pocket where they can get the shot. Um, if the pass is errant, you know, oftentimes you won't be able to get a shot, particularly if you've got, you know, six, eight closing out on you with the high hand. So um, it's a little bit of everything, um, but as much as anything, it's just, it's got to continue to be a focus and we've got to continue to make it um, important and more and more important. All right. Last question, Ryan Miller, KSL. Hey Quinn, I'm just curious. Do you notice a difference when there's only two officials in the game? You know, we've had this happen a couple times and you know, to be honest with you, I, I hadn't really focused on the officiating right now until you brought it up because I, you know, it was kind of engrossed in some of the other things we're talking about. But it's certainly harder for them. You know, I don't know. You know, I know some about the mechanics, um, but they have mechanics for a reason and they're trained that way for a reason. So I'm sure it's harder on them. Um, but, you know, I thought they did you know, an excellent job of really doing the best job that they can. There's Coach Snyder. His team lost 101 to 101-96 on Saturday night. Let's now uh, hear from some of the players. Let's hear from Rudy Gobert. Um, we'll get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Rudy. So this is the second time you guys have played the Wolves, and they've been pretty aggressive and physical on defense both times. Uh, what's kind of been the consistent issue in these two games that you played against them? I think the two games were really different. You know, tonight uh, I thought our defense were, were was good, except when we turned the ball over and uh, you know when we gave up offensive rebounds, they only score about 100 points and probably 40 points of you know the 20 turnovers and uh, and the ball. So you know um, we just couldn't you know find a way to score and yeah, you know especially the second half. They gotta give them credit. I mean, they played hard. They played with energy, and uh, you know they they forced us into a lot of uh, a lot of turnovers. You know, and I think uh, losing one of the officials probably played a big part in that too. Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. 
Rudy, is it at all concerning at this point in the season to see such different quarters and different halves? I mean, it's, it's basketball. You know, um, uh, the positive thing is I felt like we we stayed locked in defensively, and uh, I felt like our defense was, was you know, uh, even down the stretch. I mean, we got the stops we we kind of needed, we just couldn't score. You know, so um, sometimes it's going to be night like this. You know, the the most important thing for us is to, um, you know, watch the film and uh, you know try to understand what what we can do better. You know, but I, you know, I really felt like the yeah, it was it was it was a weird game, you know, physical game. The yeah, they were kind of you know grabbing, holding, and you know, and uh, the game kind of went went that way, and uh, you know, and then and, and, you know, we lost uh, we lost the handle of the game. All right, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, you had five of the 20 turnovers. I'm curious kind of what, when you go back and watch that, when that happens, you know, and see the defense collapse on you, what is it that you kind of want to do differently or better to kind of avoid those things? I mean, I think there's like, a, I mean, obviously the travel, uh, the travel, I didn't watch it. I don't know, it was probably a travel. Um, and then there's like two times when I'm trying to keep the ball high and, I can't even pass the ball because someone is grabbing my arm. So it's, uh, you know, I got to, you know, watch like once again, I'm going to watch the film and see uh, what I can do better. You know, I know that there's some plays when I should have, uh, I should have finished much stronger, you know, and I feel like I got fouled. But if I, if I go strong, I think it's easier for the official to, to see the call and, you know, and, uh, and to make the call. So, you know, it's on me and, uh, you know, and uh, the, the stronger I go up, you know, the, the the more likelihood they're going to, you know, probably uh, blow the whistle. All right. Ryan Miller, KSL, last question. Yeah, Rudy, you, you mentioned this, but kind of how different is a game when it is only two officials um, besides the three? I mean, you can go either way, you know. And uh, tonight he went the, kind of the wrong way. In a way, you know, the... I mean, uh, I'm not an official. I know, I know it's, it's not an easy job. You know, it's probably really hard to, you know, see that many things at the same time when you when you lose one of your teammates. Uh, I just feel like it really, uh, I mean, it really affected us in the wrong way tonight. Uh, not saying that we would have won the game, but uh, especially down the stretch, you know, and uh, especially me personally when... You know, guys are just bumping me, grabbing me. It's, it makes it tough. But once again, it's, you know, it's not an excuse. And, you know, and uh, we, when teams get physical and even if they foul you, uh, it's on me to, it's on us to be able to play through that uh, and, you know, to, to keep our composure and uh, find a way to, you know, keep taking care of the ball. And, and you know, and we did that at some game. We did that. We found some shots. We got to the line, you know, but... Uh, we just couldn't do it down the stretch. There's Rudy Gobert. Talked a lot about uh, only having two referees. Uh, for the second time this year, Billy Kennedy had to leave a game early uh, when officiating for the Utah Jazz, and uh, the, the referee crew had to finish up the night with two. Uh, the Jazz did not play well. Certainly would not blame that loss on the referees, but it did have an impact on the game. Minnesota played this Jazz team really physically on both sides of the ball, and uh, you know having one fewer ref probably had uh, something to do with that, at least a little bit. All right, let's keep it rolling. Let's now hear from Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, first up, we'll have Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. 
Hey, Boyan. So you guys had 20 turnovers tonight, uh, 11 offensive rebounds, leading to 20 more second chance points. How do those things happen? Quinn, Quinn said that there was maybe a lack of focus from one possession to the next. Is that something you agree with? I mean, I'm agree. I think that uh, our wings got to do a better job boxing out and, and being on a, on a help side. And, and like Quinn said, be focused every every single time trying to box out the people instead of going for the for the rebound without any any contact. So yeah, like like you said, it's tough to win half of their points or from from our turnovers and uh and their offensive board. So tough loss for us. Next question, Kristen Kenny Jazz T V. Bogey, when you look at the moments down the stretch, is this really the first night that you've missed Donovan's presence? I mean, no matter if we are winning or losing, we, we miss his his presence. Just just to be there and, and and lead our team, just by by his presence, he don't have to be there to hit a clutch clutch shot. But just knowing that that he is there and you got a guy that you can rely on, it's 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 big time for us. So, like I said, no matter if we lose or win, we are really, really missing him. All right. And last question is from Juan Barocco out of Uruguay. Boyan, how are you? Uh, do you mind if I ask you a question in Spanish? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Uh, primero que nada, eh, bueno, el el próximo rival es Minnesota nuevamente en condición de visitante. Eh, personalmente esta derrota se sintió un poco como un déjà vu de lo que fue la derrota al principio de la temporada también en casa contra los Minnesota Timberwolves. Eh, ¿Qué crees que debe mejorar el equipo para que no sea una, una terce, un tercer capítulo en, en, una, en una serie de derrotas contra, contra un equipo que está tan debajo en el, en el oeste? Gracias. Es que año, año pasado hemos perdido contra, contra ellos a casa, a casa también. Entonces hay tres, tres derrotas contra, contra ellos en, en nuestra casa. Año, año pasado hemos ganado ahí. Hay que, hay que jugar mejor. Es que 20 balones perdidos es 20, 20 tiros más para, para nosotros. Y como ha dicho antes, que, que 20, 20 puntos que ellos tenían después de, de, de rebote ofensivo es, es mucho casi casi mitad de, de, de puntos fue de, de esas dos maneras. Entonces hay que, hay que estar más, más concentrado por los dos lados. Y lo que ha dicho, hay 20, 20 balones perdidos en casa es mucho. Entonces hay que, hay que tirar dos tiros, en, in, in, como se dice, instead of, instead of giving, giving the ball to them. There's Boyan Bogdanovich led the way for the Jazz on Saturday night with 30 points, 11 of 20 shooting, 7 of 13 from 3. Hit a clutch one in the fourth, but not enough as the Jazz lose to the Timberwolves. Let's uh, wrap up the postgame player sound with Mike Conley. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, start off with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Hey, Mike, there was a, a lot of stuff that kind of went wrong for you guys tonight, especially on the offensive glass and with the turnovers. Is, is this one where you'll go back and watch the film or you kind of want to move past this one? No, this is one we need to watch. You know, it's one that um, 
it's a re- reoccurring situation uh, with a lot of teams where they're, you know, trying to crash the glass, trying to get extra possessions, um, trying to turn us over to get easy, easy opportunities and transition because, uh, you know, nobody really wants to get into a half court situation, that, you know, with Rudy back there and our defense kind of set. So uh, it, it, it's another game where we have to learn from it. We have to learn from our mistakes. We all, you know, had our times in the games where, um, we wish we would have made a different decision or, you know, gave a little bit more effort. So um, it'll be a good, good, uh, a good film session for us to look at. Okay. Next up, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Mike, was it kind of a game long thing or, or did Minnesota change something? I mean, it's a pretty drastic difference going from 40 in the first quarter to 56 over the next three. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they changed a little bit. They started switching a little bit more uh, deeper in the clock, but um, you know, a lot of it, you know, we, things we can, we can change. I think guys got a little fatigued at points and, um, and we just tried to do too much in certain situations. And uh, we made plays a half second too late um, as opposed to, you know, being on the money with our passes and, and those situations can lead to turnovers and, and, you know, compounded mistakes. So, um, it, it, you give them credit for, for the way they, you know, came out with energy and the, you know, just the way they played. Uh, but a lot of it, you know, we can control and, um, I expect us to be better at, uh, next we have Ryan Miller, KSL. <clears throat> hey Mike, not really a question about the game, but I wanted to get your take on what you're going to be doing with the Oscars tomorrow. Are you going to be watching? Are you excited? And what was kind of the reaction? I know the team watched the movie together, uh, this late last week. How was that? Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll definitely be tuned in and watching, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are involved in that and, um, it's a great, great accomplishment to even be nominated. So definitely going to be tuned in, but, um, I thought the team, uh, and the coaching staff and everybody who was involved, you know, really enjoyed, you know, the film and being able to, to get its messaging behind it. And, um, you know, I just appreciate them taking the time to, to, you know, sit there and watch it. And especially in the time that we're living in right now. And, you know, it had a lot of situations in that, in that short film that are still going on um, even as of last week. So I'm just uh, thankful for the guys to sit there and have the conversation, um, you know, ask questions and just keep the dialogue going. Uh, Tony Jones, the athletic. Mike, when a team, uh, when a team extends this ball pressure, uh, the way Minnesota did, not only tonight, but, you know, that, that the, the first night in December or whatever, how do you guys combat that? And, and, and how can you guys combat that, you know, not only with the ball pressure, but with them switching everything, especially up top and on the perimeter? Well, I think when teams are being aggressive with you, you have to be aggressive uh, on the offensive end as well. Like the reason why teams can pressure us like that is we're trying to run a play or we're trying to get into a certain set or, um, you know, instead of doing that, like just we got to blow by guys or we got to, you know, be strong with the ball in those situations and, and play through it and be physical and, and be right, you know, punch right back. So um, I think in those, those periods of time, we just have to have to play with more force, um, force with cutting force with passes, you know, be, be pinpoint. Uh, Cause those are opportunities to, you know, use their aggressiveness against them, whether it's back cuts or, um, different kind of situations we can get into. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think that teams are going to do that. Teams are going to pressure us, you know, teams have pretty much thrown everything at us all year and, 
we found ways to get get by. But you know, there's always a you know a game or two that gives us another lesson uh, to be learned. All right, and last question, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Mike, how do you guys weigh taking the open shot versus kind of driving and and you know in, into the paint a little bit and probing from there? You know, kind of how do you make that decision? Man, you know, I think it's it's just the you know each individual each individual guy has their you know their zones in the game where they they feel like they're you know too deep in the paint where they need to make a play or a guy might feel that you know the next the next best best shot is uh one more pass to the top of key you know it's just each guy is different but we do get in modes where um the first shot might be the best shot you know we get we might have to take that and uh, we had plenty of opportunities with that tonight and you know guys we kind of overpassed it and, and by the time the ball got you know swung back around they were matched back up uh to their man so um those are situations that you you know you you love to hate in a situation in, in a sense, but um, you know we have to be more selfish in some points of the game and and look to shoot it because we have so many good guys on the outside. There's Mike Conley, eighteen points, seven assists. He had four steals as well, but not enough. Jazz lose to the Timberwolves, one hundred one to ninety six on Saturday night. Up next, the Jazz take on that same Timberwolves team in Minneapolis tonight. Tip-off coming your way at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 5. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. And with it, under the dribble, handoff to the left elbow. He's got both Donovich on him, drives into the paint on Gobert, scoops it up and in! What a finish for Anthony Edwards. And to the elbow, off to Akogi. Inside against Gobert, he turns and kicks out, says, I want nothing to do with that. Here's Towns rumbling across the lane, over Gobert, he got it. D'Lo with it against Bogdanovich, stops and pops, pull up 16-footer, he got it! The Utah Jazz lose to the Minnesota Timberwolves again, beating 101 to 96. You just heard the postgame rap and everybody talking about all the turnovers and all the offensive rebounds they conceded. And PK, the Timberwolves again. 0 2 against the Suns, you don't like it, but it makes sense. 0 2 against the Wizards, you don't like it. Well, if you spin enough, you can kind of sort of explain it away. But 0 2 against the Wolves, it. What? What? There's no explanation. What? Well, okay. Well, what do you want from me? There's no explanation. What could I possibly say? You're smarter than I am. Maybe you'll prove me wrong again. I am not. You've spent years doing it. Argue with me. Tell me there's an explanation. What? Oh, uh, what's the explanation? That's what I spent spent years arguing with you? Is that what you're saying? Maybe. Well, okay. All right. I can buy that. I think that uh, as I was watching that game, the 17-point lead came so easy, Mm. and then they just got loose. They got uh, complacent. They lost focus and concentration. The turnovers were just disgusting. And I know nobody wants to say it because we're supposed to be cheerleaders, but Clarkson's shot selection absolutely sucked. And they just put up a bunch of pathetic shots, particularly by him. I thought it was one of his worst games, and he's a star, and we love him dead to death, and these are our heroes and all that stuff. But he didn't play well. And I didn't, I didn't like his shot selection. And the turnovers, as I say, were lousy. So 
I think they just lost uh, what they needed to have, the edge to compete, because they're figuring, well, they're them, we're us. Mm -hmm. And it bit them in the butt, man. A horrific second half, that's for sure. Not that the second quarter was all that special either. No. So the Jazz get beat with, uh, they scored 18 points in the second and 16 in the third, and Missed a chance to pull away in the West. They also announced that Donovan Mitchell will be out for another week. He's going to be reevaluated Friday. Think there's any chance they reevaluate him Friday that he can play against the Suns? I never thought he was going to play against the Suns anyway. I thought that he was going to be out uh, for a good three weeks. And that it was, I had him, in my mind, I had 10 games. Now, I don't have the schedule in front of me, so I don't know what game number that is so I can't say that but in my mind I was thinking 10 games because there's just absolutely no need to rush him back uh, number one seed number two seed uh, uh, I don't I just don't know that it's a big big deal I still say it, it to me it's like the NIT you know you got a game go win it you got the number one seed in your grasp go get it but if you don't get it it's not the end of the world you know what I mean and if you do get it, you don't celebrate wildly. I remember that one year they got the number one seed, the second year uh, in the league, not just in the conference. If I remember correctly, they were playing in Phoenix, and Stockton got way emotional because they had the number one seed throughout the home court. And, and I think at that time, you know, we thought it meant something. Turns out it didn't, but it was a grand achievement for this, these guys. And it would be a nice achievement for them, but I don't think it's the be-all, end-all. So, in my mind, I had 10 games for Mitchell. But I think to answer your question in a long-winded way, I think, sure, they could reactivate him in time for that game. Well, if you're right and he misses 10 games, that means he returns to the Denver game on Friday, May 7th. Yeah, so that's what I had in my mind. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Kyrie feeds to Durant. Five to shoot. KD one-on-one with Paul. Right around him to the rim and a two-hand slam for Kevin Durant. Says to Chris Paul, you can't guard me. Gareth and Matthew now. Left wing outside the arc. Left to circle Bertons. Bradley Beal out front for three. Oh, it's there. Pretty. It's there. Now Lou Williams gets it over to Bogey. He's wide open. Three-pointer. Bang. Bogey bang Donovich. Wide open. And he knocks down the three and the Hawks lead by a dozen. Curry splits traffic. Head fake. Steps into a three. No. Bounce pass to Draymond. Rotates out. JTA to Curry. By the chase center. Sign. He rattled another one home. Highlights from around the league. The Nets gave the Jazz a little bit of a helping hand. They beat the Suns 128-119, so the Suns stay two games behind the Jazz. The uh, Kyrie Irving-Kevin Durant show, that was that was fairly spectacular, PK. And David Locke has talked about they're the favorites if they're healthy because they've got so much offensive firepower, and they don't have Harden right now. But Irving goes for 34, Durant goes for 33, and... They score 128 points and beat the Suns, and that is pretty impressive considering they're doing it without one of their star players. Yeah, but how many points is he going to add that the other guys then wouldn't have? Was he going to score 160? Yeah, it's the third overkill. He comes back, he takes away shots from Irving and Durant. I, I think that Kyrie Irving just understands that, all right, this is a big game. It's on the, not the prime time in the evening, but a Sunday afternoon we recognize as as prime time that time of day, and it reminds me like Secretariat. I don't think Secretariat knew that he was racing in the Belmont 
but I think he knew it was a big, big deal. Well, Kyrie knows he's racing in the Belmont, and he knows it's a big, big deal. So he ends up with a huge game, which doesn't surprise me. That's sort of who he is in my mind. And then Durant, uh, you know, he got reactivated, and he had it going on too. And I think what you speak of there, that ability to look up and recognize this is a big moment, I need to come through, that's one of a couple really important traits for the playoffs. And he's won a title before, and Durant's won a title before. Harden hasn't. But two of the three have, and that ability to turn it on when they really need it for whatever reason. Big stage, uh, in trouble in the moment, whatever it is, that really matters. And they are 11-1 in their last 12 games. They're 17-3 in their last 20. They are crushing people. And on, on top of that, picking up an Oscar, Kevin Durant... Mike Conley, executive producers, there were 10 executive producers for Two Distant Strangers, which won an Oscar for Best Short Live Action Film. So, winning on every front. Oh, yeah, the Oscars, man. Wow, it was incredible last night. What a night. The Oscars? Did you watch it? I did not. Did you tape it? I did not. You going to watch it later? I did not. <laughs> I will not. Oh, sorry. Stuck on repeat there. Yeah, rolling there. Yeah, I did. Eh, you know you know how it is when the vinyl has a scratch and it starts skipping. There I was. And I think of you as vinyl. Old school. Other NBA games, you heard Steph Curry going off again. 37 points, seven three-pointers. Two guys closing out on him. Doesn't look like he has much space. And he just drops a rainbow three in over everybody. Warriors beat the Kings. Kings aren't good, and it was a tight game, but the Warriors got the win 117-113, the final score. You like Golden State in this playing tournament? Uh, assuming they're going to be State. in it. What? I love Golden State. <laughs> they said that with no enthusiasm whatsoever. The playing tournament, if we're just going to go the playing tournament, I'd probably go Memphis. Well, two will make it. Now, two make yeah. it, right. right. So... Uh, but at the, uh, of the play-in tournament teams, I would rank probably Memphis, uh, but certainly Portland. Obviously, is is there too. Willard had an awful game. Yes, uh, or shooting it was like eight of twenty-seven. Yep, twenty-three Clarkson was jealous. Twenty-three points on twenty-seven shots. Nothing close to efficient. And so Memphis wins. And so Memphis and Dallas at Portland looks like they got a great chance to finish behind both those teams. And. Uh, just really struggling here coming down the stretch. Speaking of Portland. Yes, the Blazers. Not good. Grizzlies win 120-113. John Morant, 28 points and several electric plays. There's, I, I was looking at stuff, as we always do, uh, each day and over the weekend, that Portland wants that seventh spot so they could either get the Suns or the Jazz. They don't want to get sixth and have to play the Clippers. Yeah, well, there's no guarantee the Clippers are going to be third. The Jazz and the Suns slipping now. I mean, the Jazz are two games in front of the Suns and two games in front of the Clippers. So anything could happen. I I think the odds still favor the Jazz, but if you're going to lose to Minnesota at home, that means anything can happen. They got three road games this week. Well, obviously, we'll all know a lot more, and there'll be a lot less speculation in a week. Obviously. I like it. The Denver Nuggets, another injury. Will Barton is out for the foreseeable future. A pretty significant, that's the quote, pretty significant hamstring strain, according to head coach Mike Malone. Now, we've seen players out three, four, five weeks with hamstring strains. That's uh, 
Nothing shocking if that's the news, so pretty significant. I'm going to the outside of that and thinking three, four, five, well, not three. So it seems like he's out for the regular season and not convinced he'll be ready for the start of the playoffs just off what Mike Malone said. It didn't look good when you saw it. No. Well, that on top of the Murray injury by itself may not be a big blow, but when you factor in the Murray injury, then it becomes a big blow. Ugliest injury was uh, Orlando's Devin Kennedy. Had to be stretchered off the court. Open fracture of his right ankle in the first quarter. Mo Bamba removed his jersey to cover up the broken and bleeding ankle. That's uh, Gordon Hayward territory. That's a horrible injury. All right, more on the NBA coming up. More on the changing playoff picture and the Jazz horrific loss. It's the question of the day, and we will get to that and your explanations in a few minutes. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I don't think there's risk. You know, it still comes down to having a good football team and building a good roster around uh, around everybody. I mean, it's there's players here that are talented. There's rookies that are going to be coming in that are talented. And the expectation is that they're one of 53 when it's all said and done. And they've, they've all got to perform their best to create a great football team. That was some football talk right there, wasn't it? Uh, that and you take it one at a time and you're right there. Yeah. Jets coach Robert Slaw right there saying his team needs to build around everybody, not just the quarterback. All right, Thursday, the draft gets going, and of course we all expect the quarterback that the Jets choose to be BYU's quarterback. Other quarterbacks have been high picks, getting big money. Cleveland Browns exercising their fifth-year option on Baker Mayfield, so that locks him in through 2022, and he'll make just a shade under $19 million. Baker Mayfield, a former top pick in the draft, and the Browns finally, finally looking like they're trending up into the Browns, so I don't think we can count on anything, but they look like they're trending up. Oh, I agree they are, yeah. Certainly, the I think any of us would lock him in on that, given the uh, opportunity to run an NFL team. That seems like a no-brainer, the way the things went for them last year. Baltimore Ravens sent Pro Bowl offensive tackle Orlando Brown Jr. to the Chiefs in exchange for three picks in this year's draft, including the Chiefs' first-round pick, a third- and fourth-rounder, and a fifth-round pick in 2022. Chiefs will play him at left tackle. They got Baltimore's second-round pick in this year's draft and a sixth-round pick next year to offset some of those picks. And they've completely rebuilt their offensive line, which would seem like the primary culprit. And they had injuries, and they had a guy opt out, so... We get why the offensive line was a problem, but it it seemed like the primary culprit is Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl and uh, chased the Chiefs star quarterback all over the field and gave gave him no time to throw. But he's running for his life. For his Well, he's at least running for the Super Bowl. Okay, for his life. (laughs) Detroit Lions reportedly open to trading. Trading out of the seventh pick and trading back in the draft. General Manager Brad Holmes, yeah, there's been discussion with other teams. I'll keep those in-house. But there have been discussions. There's a lot of speculation that it's discussions with the Patriots about the Patriots trading up for a quarterback. And the five quarterbacks are supposed to go in the first nine picks. So if you can move in at seven, presumably, you'd be able to grab one. Now, is it the one you want? Remains to be seen. And he didn't say Patriots. That's all the speculation. He said teams. Got to jack up the price on the Patriots at the last minute, PK. It's an auction. Who wants in? Well, I think they have to determine if the one that's available is good enough. I mean, the one they want most likely is Trevor Lawrence. Well, there's that. Uh, but, uh, so you have to determine the one that you 
have the opportunity to get, is he the player that you think can be there for the next 10, 15 years? Well, five quarterbacks in the top nine, that obviously doesn't mean that everybody loves all five guys. And clearly, we don't expect all five guys to, to make it. But the way the NFL draft has trended, if you're pretty good and you got a shot, well, the draft just starts with a run on quarterbacks. It was three of the last six, three of the top six picks last year, expected to be five and nine this year. We're really not seeing the fourth and third and sixth round picks pan out the way they used to. There's still guys in the league who who are those guys. Russell Wilson was the third round pick, and obviously Brady was a sixth round pick. Prescott's your guy. Prescott's a fourth round guy, yeah. Cousins is a fourth round guy, but they're all older guys, and the draft has changed a lot in the last three to five years. And just if you make it, you were probably a, a top 10 pick in the draft. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. So, would you, is it a bigger waste of time? I guess is the way to phrase it. Is it a bigger waste of time? To listen to an NFL coach throw out all the cliches we just heard, or to listen to someone tell you that college football playoff might go to 16 games or 16 teams. Well, 16 seems a lot. <laughs> it seems like there's no way that'll happen. 16 teams is what is thrown out there by people who love playoffs and who uh, are employed by the group of five, one of the group of five teams or conferences. I, I can't believe. Whatever the playoff is about to do, and we're into the you know the back end of the 12-year contract, and it's time to start thinking about that stuff, but 16? 16 seems a lot. Uh, eight seems much more realistic. I was thinking about this the other day. Actually, I was thinking about this this morning, too, when I was thinking about it when this talk was out there. You know, a couple years back when Herbert was a senior at Oregon, the Ducks go 9-1 in conference. Mm-hmm. They go 9-1 in conference, and, and they lose – by a bomb at the end of the game on the road, and they can't get in? That's ridiculous. They go 9-1 in conference, and you can't get in? That doesn't make any sense to me. And everybody knows I'm not the biggest Oregon fan in the world at all, but I still think that year that Herbert was a senior, the Ducks should have gotten in. The winner of that Utah-Oregon game should have gotten in. They say Utah probably would have gotten in. I, I have my doubts. But I absolutely believe Oregon should have gotten in. They won that game. That was very impressive as the way they won it, too. They go 9-1 and one in the Pac-12, and that's not good enough. That doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe six teams, maybe eight. They're also studying 16. I suppose if you're studying all those numbers, you might as well study 12. Sure. Why not? At the end, I expect six or eight. I expect they'll expand it because they want more money. You create more content, you make more money. I know people say, ah, oh, it's too many games, but they're all—they're already doing it in the uh, championship subdivision. A, a champion there can play 16 games, so. Yeah. Uh, nothing in, imminent, though. The, the college football playoff deal doesn't expire until uh, after the 2025 season. So they got five years to work it out, but they're already working on it. Weber State is out of those championship subdivision playoffs. Gave up a late touchdown to Southern Illinois and lost 34-31. So they finished what they're calling the 2020 spring season with a 5-1 record. But I suppose the silver lining is they're not playing three more games and wearing guys out and then turning around and playing another season in the fall. They're done after six games. So 
There's your silver lining after a playoff loss. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Shohei drives it. Deep right center field. Oh, Shohei. Gone. Look how far that baseball went. The pitch is a curveball. Grounded slowly up the middle. Right at Tatis. He steps on second. That is the ball game, and that is a hell of a winner for the Padres as they take the Dodgers down 8-7 in 11. One out away from a complete game shutout and seven no-hit innings. And the reason we can't call it a no-hitter is because in 1991, Major League Baseball made a rule that you had to play nine innings and have the lead to get a no-hitter. First pitch to Ozuna. He lines one to right, right at Josh Rojas and seven no-hit innings for Madison Bumgarner as the D-backs sweep a doubleheader from Atlanta, seven to nothing. The D-backs pouring onto the field and congratulating Bumgarner. Highlights from Major League Baseball, a seven-inning no-no, PK. In high school, that's a thing. But in Major League Baseball, not a thing. That's wrong. Why? On behalf because of all that, the guys who lost no-nos in the eighth and ninth inning, why? Because baseball instituted a rule. They lost it. Bumgarner didn't lose it. Something was taken from him. He didn't have the opportunity to go out and do it. In 1990, they didn't play seven-inning games. What are they still playing seven-inning games for? I mean, last year, headers. I get it. But this year? Well, it's just still there. And in case there's cancellations, obviously. Postponements. I mean, I understand why they're doing it. That's why. That's an easy answer to that question. There's going to be games that have already been missed. So they decided to do it. You made the rule. Now, I don't think it's a nine-inning no-hitter, but I think it's a seven-inning no-hitter. They made the rule. It's not like he didn't want to go out and pitch the eighth and ninth inning. Arizona Diamondbacks dominate the Braves. Five zip and then seven zip. A one hitter in the first game. That's a long day of not hitting right there. One hit in 14 innings. Yeah, Freeman was the only one who had a hit. Oakland's 13 game win streak is over. Orioles win eight to one. Chokers. Still <laughs> still an awesome run by the Athletics. What are, what are they, PK? Their manager called them greedy. <laughs> greedy. I mean, chokers, geez. I knew they couldn't win every game out. I I just knew it. Something told me. Dodgers scored five in the sixth, went up 7-1 on the Padres, but the Padres got two in the seventh, two in the eighth, two in the ninth, and the winner in the 11th to come all the way back from 7-1 and win 8-7. So they take three out of four. From what was a really good series, again, PK, when these teams play, they're not playing any stinkers here. They're playing entertaining games. They played seven times now. Padres have won four. The Dodgers have won three, but they've all been good. Oh, I think that just for my own entertainment, they should play every weekend. Sorry, they don't play next month. In June, they'll play again. Look forward to it. The Dodgers now uh, merely have an awesome record as opposed to something that looks like there's some youth Super League team that's completely stacked. I mean, 15-7, and seven, you're winning more than two out of every three games, but you're basically cooling off to that 110-win pace that you were talking about earlier, PK. Still in first place in the division. Look out for the Giants. Dodgers a game up on the Giants, three on the Padres after that series.
Well, the Giants are a surprise team in the uh, NL, that's for sure. Your surprise team in the AL, Oakland rattling off that 13-game win streak? Uh, I would go with the Royals. Leading the AL Central. Yeah. NL East, the worst division in baseball so far. We got uh, one team with a winning record. The Mets are 9-8. and eight. Yeah, so far, but you know, obviously it's still way early. Yeah. NL, NL West looking awesome with only one team with a losing record and everybody with a positive run differential. So even even the Rockies, who are eight and thirteen, have outscored their opponents despite despite going eight and thirteen. All right, Wait. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. Newcomer Anderson Julio scores twice in the first half, and RSL holds on to win at Minnesota. Two to one. They get the road win to start the season and then controversy. You like chippy guys, a goalkeeper, David Ochoa, kicking the ball and not like lofting it souvenir style to the opposing fans, kicking a screaming line drive up into the wonder wall after the game. So there's a lot of yelling and screaming and finger pointing afterwards. RSL is coming home to host Sporting Kansas City in the home opener Saturday, but with a win in a place they'd never won. So. Feeling better about themselves, PK. Oh, yeah. Julio Anderson. Yeah, way to go, man. It's Anderson Julio. I know, but it should be Julio Anderson. Well, it could be in another family, but not in his family. There it is. So, two goals for him in his debut, both in the first half. What is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call him at... 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up next, the question of the day. We've actually got two of them. And we got Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. Jazz winning some games without Donovan Mitchell. They're not playing the greatest competition necessarily, Howard, but what does it say about a team that they can keep winning basketball games without their number one offensive guy? I think what's encouraging about it is what happens in the playoffs if Donovan Mitchell's got an off game. If the defense is totally geared toward stopping him, does the offense have alternatives? Is there another way to attack that relies on everybody else? You don't want to be too dependent on one player when it gets to the postseason. So winning without Mitchell right now, I'm not saying it's some sort a preview or guide for the postseason, but it does build confidence and it does show they've got alternatives. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes Your Toast brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup at Jerry Seiner Cadillac. It's definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. Well, PK, the question of the day Try to explain how the pound sign, dollar sign, ampersand, at sign, exclamation point, the Jazz lost to Minnesota. How in the world did that happen? And Ray went old school on us. He says, pesky Timberwolves, as Hot Rod would say. Their peskiness, that's how that happened? Don't accept it. 
Yeah, guys played well. I mean, they got some talent. That's what I've been saying all along. Even these crappy teams got two or three guys you can look at and say, hey, there's some players there. So if they do things right, they should be able to get better over the next few years. And Minnesota's one of them. Uh, obviously, uh, Edwards is a rookie, and, and Towns has been around for a while. D'Angelo Russell, you know, he, he's decent. So they've got – even the crappy team's got a few players, and you have to give them credit. And I also think that uh, one of the things I can expound on what I said earlier in the last segment, but I also think it's clear. It reminds me of the Utes when I covered them for the Watchdog in the 90s. And you could see teams that were playing these guys just got so fired up. There was one year in that bloated 16-league thing that they had in the whack. We went down to Rice. I think it was Tulsa-Rice. And Tulsa was a pretty good team at the time. And I think Andre Miller hits a shot at the buzzer, and they beat them on a Saturday. And then we traveled down to Houston, and it was Monday night. So a big Monday game, which meant it was 11 p.m., in uh, Houston, uh. start time, right? Yeah, <laughs> brutal. 11, 11 p.m., right? Because that's Central Time Zone, right? At ten o'clock our our time, and the gym was just packed, and every media guy was there. I remember I had an extended conversation with Gifford Nielsen because he was a sportscaster in Houston at the time. Everybody and her dog was there because the Utes were coming to town. Man, it was a big, big deal. Rice. Rice doesn't play on Big Monday uh, back when they had that, right? I mean, they were a lousy team. No, it's like Rice basketball. Tell me the last time Rice basketball mattered. Yeah. So it was such such a big, big deal at the time. And the Utes won. And it's it's like 1.30 in the morning, and Majerus does his postgame, and then some TV people wanted him. I can remember he was walking down the hall. And, and he said, "I got to do something first, blah blah blah." And then the TV people groan. He turns around, he's looked at him. It's one thirty. You're way past your deadline. What's it going to matter? You could stand there for a few more minutes because <laughs> he knew how the business worked, right? <laughs> and I forget what he did, and then he came back, and I was done. But I remember him saying that, and it was such a big deal. And it's clear you're beating the best team in the league, and for a team going nowhere, that matters. You're looking for some positive momentum. And clearly, they were jacked. And you can look at the sidelines. And the sidelines now, they're way more demonstrative because they got space. You know, there's nobody sitting right behind them, the fans and whatnot. So they got all this room to spread out this year. And you can see it. They can jump up. They can move around. They can do calisthenics if they wanted. They can celebrate more freely because they're not getting in anybody's way. You know, the next, the, any form of uh, visitors or spectators are sitting above them, right? So they got all that room there. And they're so much more emotional. And Jazz have to meet that. And I don't think they met that. Well, they didn't. And you're right about that. The Wolves getting up for a game. But it just seems like there's such a talent gap that shouldn't matter. I mean, that would explain why it was a close game. But when the Jazz erase the deficit, Bogey hits the big three, they retake the lead, and there's still, I don't know what there was, two or three minutes left. You're thinking, okay, now it's going to be an ugly win, but it's going to be a win. They've gotten over the hump here, and instead uh, they, they went like three minutes or two and a half minutes, whatever it was, without scoring until Clarkson hit a three right at the end. But at that point, it was kind of they were into the fouling game, and the math was desperation slash miraculous. That's, <laughs> that was the territory they were in. 
But that three or four yeah, minutes when Bogey hits you those speak two threes, of, it's like okay. That, but this, that's not the Timberwolves that, at that moment. That's that. That's not the fourteen and fifty-two or whatever it is Timberwolves. That's a Timberwolf team at that moment that had been playing the Jazz very well and had been leading virtually the whole time from the second quarter on. That's you're playing that Timberwolves team. You're not playing the Timberwolves team on February twenty-fourth. That got blown out by whoever they got blown out by if they played on the 24th. You get the point I'm making. You're playing a team that has a whole lot of confidence in the moment. You're not playing the Timberwolf team that sucks. I think there's a big difference there. I think there is, too. I mean, they're 3-2 and two in the last five games, and I know that's not a huge... Break them up. ...huge sample size, but lately they feel a little better about themselves. And there was a... A stretch in February where they just couldn't get out of their own way. They lost, I don't know what it was, 11 out of 12 or 12 out of 13 or 13 out of 14. I mean, there was a stretch where they were horrible. And obviously, Carl Anthony Towns was out for a big stretch earlier this year. But still, how does it happen? Chris says, because Utah's in playoff mode now. It's all the sarcasm, the cheap shots, the defeatism. It's flowing freely after that one. No, actually, I think that's why I'm not all that worried is because they're not in playoff mode. They didn't have the intensity. They got casual with the basketball, and that becomes a problem. The 17-point lead came too easy right from the start, and they thought, oh, here we go again, man. We're just going to show up now. I'm going to be out of the fourth quarter resting, watching the subs play, having a great time, and uh, then we're going to go on the road and do what we do. And so their concentration, it got away from them. They got very casual. Shot selection was not good. I didn't like Clarkson's shot selection. I realize he has free reign, but I think he has to have responsibility within the free reign. And there were some shots there that I didn't like at all. And the turnovers were soft and crummy and just didn't work and didn't just wasn't there in terms of the intensity. But that's okay. Because when you get to the postseason, they're going to have all those things. I don't know if they're going to win all the games, but they're not going to be casual. They're going to be intense. They're going to be as if, uh, depending on what the situation is, and, you know, their playoff life is riding on it. And they're going to have their best player back offensively, too. So I'm not going to make a big deal about this. I'm not going to make a big deal about it all. But if we want to analyze it individually, those are some of the reasons why I think they lost. But if I step back, I can roll with it. Travis says too many turnovers, and Craig says too many turnovers, and they forgot how to shoot three-point shots. On the whole, they shot the three well enough. I mean, the team shot 40% from three. That's it's like a league-leading type number, 40%. So you can't complain too much about that. I mean, individually, there's individual shots you can complain about. And Joe was off. But Boogie was red hot. And so, you know, between the two of them, it worked out. I mean, obviously, you can look at Joe's numbers, and you know they weren't good enough. Yeah, that's but, fine. Steph but, Curry had a run the other a couple yeah. weeks back where he was just couldn't miss, and then he went. I think he had a game where he went two of fourteen. Yeah, and then he came back and he was fifty percent last night. I think he was seven of fourteen against the Kings. So those shooting nights are going to come and go. Now for Joe, they haven't gone that much, but they went. It went in one game. It's going to happen. Well, and the key is to have enough guys that, that gets offset. And obviously, Joe has an off night, but Bogey was really good. He was 7 to 13. That's excellent. But the turnovers, yeah, the turnovers were a problem. When, when they lose playoff games, 
We're going to point to turnovers, aren't we? Whoa, 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 whoa. Back that up. If. (laughs) If they lose playoff games. You got got 16-0. I went plural. Not only did I dismiss 16-0, I dismissed 16-1. And I do it again. (laughs) And you're wrong again. No, I'm not wrong. And you know I'm not wrong. I'll bet you $1,000. You will not. (laughs) You haven't bet $1,000 in your whole life. I never said I was gonna what I was betting on, but I'll bet you it. <laughs> I'll bet you a thousand of Yock's dollars. Yock, if I'm wrong, pay the man. <laughs> you guys do realize what I make, kind of like on a daily basis, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. but what you make off to the side, we won't discuss that. Yeah. Okay, let's leave that one. Yes, thousand bucks a hole. Let's go. <laughs> I mean those high stakes games of golf. Flying out to Sandpiper and taking money from those rich Santa Barbara dudes who don't hey, know what they're doing. I'm not Tony and Gipper Fee now, I can tell you that much. No, you're not on tour. Get that. Dell says they lost that because they've always struggled against Minnesota. I get that within a year there, or even a couple years as a group of players stay together, there are bad matchups and teams you struggle with. But can you be can you be hexed, jinxed? Routinely beaten by a team forever, going through multiple uh, generations yeah. of players? <laughs> yes. That seems like a reach. Yes. No, it's happened. Who? The Washington Generals. Excellent example. The yeah, they just they can't cannot get. get over the hump. And obviously I would go the uh, BYU Cougars in football. Against my Utah Utes. Ten is coming. <laughs> Don said, as you guys said on Friday, this is the NBA. That goes back to the point. Minnesota's Team 29 by record. The Jazz are Team 1 by record. And 29 can take down 1 because even Team 29 has talent. We did talk about that. I've been saying that for weeks. Yep. I I think that, and I I don't, I might, might just be making it up in my own mind but it seems to me, and I don't have any numbers, and I'm not going to run the numbers on that. By and I'm never going to run numbers on anything. It's a waste of time for me. Let it. But so, why should I do something that's hard when I, somebody else can do it for me? Uh, I just think that the crappier teams are better than the crappier teams of old. Now, maybe I'm way off on that, uh, but I think there's more talent out there to be had. You know. But you look at the the uh, foreign player now. The three guys that the uh, are leading Timberwolves. None of those are foreign guys. They're American guys. Towns is a Jersey guy all the way. Uh, but you add in all the elements that come into the game from all these various places, literally almost all over the world, and they're they're integral players. They're not one trick pony, soft shooting, twenty foot guys and that's all they do so the talent level i think is at its highest and so you have crappier teams that i think are better than the crappier teams of old and then you combine that with a real casual effort if i sum up the word the one word for the jazz if i thought it was just too casual i think what you said in 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 the last segment was spot on was it got really easy early on they had a 40 point first quarter they had a double digit lead and that was what Quinn went to in the postgame, went to focus. Well, how did they lose their focus? They got a big early lead. They jumped on an early, and it turned out to be a problem, PK. 
Well, first quarter leads do nothing for me. Absolutely nothing. They're all, they're meaningless in the in this league. First quarter leads. I, I, no team, and there's rare exceptions. In like one year, the Lakers had some phenomenal forty point lead over the Kings or something in the first quarter, if I remember. Yeah, forty to four. Right. Okay, you got me there. <laughs> but, but it's so freaky. That's why we remember it, right? Mm-hmm. But a fifteen, even in twenty, in the first quarter. It's a big deal, you know. The, the in this league with so many prolific guys being able to put the ball in the basket, and then you got dudes who are okay, but on a given night they're better than okay. They can get hot. We've seen it a million times. So that's where I would criticize the Jazz. I'm not, but I'm not going crazy on this because it's one game, and in a sense, get slapped around a little bit. Stop being so cocky. Not that they were cocky, but to me, they weren't cocky. They were casual. So, you know, tonight they shouldn't be casual. They should have a supreme effort. and I really don't want big-time playoff-like intensity now anyway because you got to turn it up and you got to have something there. Clearly, they have way more to give tonight than they gave Saturday, and they'll have more to give in just under uh, four weeks when it matters the most. But I expect that tonight they're not going to be casual, and you're not going to see casual, loose, uh, lack of concentration slash focus type turnovers. And that's a lot of hyphens to get all those words together. But I think that that's what you'll see. So, And that's what they've been doing all season, too. I've said this many times when they suck. They don't suck for very long, which is a sign of a really good team because you're going to have down moments. And they haven't had, though. They had that one stretch where they lost four out of six, and that's pretty much it. Every other time, they've responded. So I suspect they're not going into Phoenix on a three-game losing streak. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, question of the day, part two, and you already know we're going to disagree, but where do you come down? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. There are a couple of reasons that I didn't become a doctor. Same reasons you didn't become a paleontologist. Why do you crack a smile and then make a joke? I'm just saying like, yeah, there's a couple of reasons I wasn't a lawyer. Number one, the LSAT scared me. Number two, I thought I'd fail miserably. And number three, I didn't think I was smart enough. So yeah, there are just a couple of reasons why I didn't become a lawyer. Can I make a point without you attacking me? I'm not attacking you. Like you've never talked about wanting to be a doctor before. To me, this seems like you were just right on the cusp of going to medical school. And then just these one or two little things came up and made you think, no. I'm not going to do that. Doctor. 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 Can you not attack me? You know, it bugs me when you do that. Doctor. 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 Stop playing that. And doctor. Well, we miss anyone? Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Uh-huh. 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 All right, so question of the day, part two. Mad bum. The seven-inning no-hitter isn't a no-hitter. Reaction. 
Legit, yay or nay? Obviously, it's not. And you, however, believe... You need to shut the hell up right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with Jared. Jared posts, it's got to be 27 outs to be legit, in my opinion. Lots of guys have carried no hitters through seven innings. And they had the opportunity to carry them through... Eight innings and nine innings, and I guess there's a couple of dudes that have extended into ten innings, right? But the wasn't he wasn't given the opportunity. Should he have said, "Hey, Atlanta, would you guys give me six more outs to see if I can do this?" <laughs> <laughs> He's got six. I mean, they had a seven-run lead. They should have, right? And obviously, the Braves weren't hitting uh, anything. Hey, they couldn't hit water. They fell out of a bleeping boat. Thank you, Tommy. <laughs> the late, so, great Tommy Lasorda. Let's, um, so, let's keep his quotes what, alive. <laughs> oh, they're out there, too, and they're funny as all get They out. are really go, entertaining. Go type in Tommy Lasorda World Series when he takes out Doug Rao. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, make sure you're available to where you can listen to it, where the bad language is going to get you in trouble. <laughs> I would like to thank whoever thought it. SFW. Yeah, right? In caps with exclamation points underlined. You really, really, really. Of course, now you're working at home, so. It's funny as all get out, man. I mean, he just swears. He could swear with the best of them. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody swear better and more consistently outside of my mother, of course. And but, whoever uh, decided to mic him up during a World Series, yeah. excellent. Excellent idea. Yeah. It's not the same as a nine-inning no-hitter. But it still should go down and just put in parentheses seven innings. Well, and it, we already I mean, do it, this constantly. It, and 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 let's face it, regardless of what the rule is, that is going to happen. It's going to be in his bio if you click online. All the yeah, people I, who, who I want BaseballReference.com, the official statistics, <laughs> whatever they are. Well, Elias Sports Bureau has it because they're the ones who always tell you whatever a quirky, you know. This is the I saw one of their quirky stats. The Padres were one and one hundred and twelve all time when they trailed the Dodgers by six runs. So now they're two and one twelve because yeah, they rallied that, Sunday night. But so if they're not, tracking that, they're tracking Bumgarner's seven, they ch- seven inning no no. Who cares? Who cares? I want the official MLB stats. Whatever they recognize as the official, that's where it should be. They're the ones who denied him. They changed the rule. They put the rule in in 1990 or something, as you said, but they didn't have seven-inning games. The minors have had them in doubleheaders for a while. High school has them, obviously, but they they didn't have them. Well, now, last year, they had them. I don't know if they'll go back. I mean, you're not throwing back the Padre win last night and that big freaking run that they scored? Well, he didn't get on base. He was awarded at base because they gave some dumb rule to start overtime games or extra inning games, as I should say, with a runner on second base. Nobody's saying, what the hell? That doesn't count. No, you don't start a inning on second base. No one's saying that. In the very day that Madison Bumgarner only goes seven, the Padres win an extra inning game by that very rule. But nobody's saying, well, that doesn't count. No, it absolutely counts. So why should one count, but the other doesn't? It doesn't make any sense. Well, I want to go back to what you said at the start there. What the hell? I think actually there are a lot of people saying that, and that that softball runner at second base, let's stop that. But it is. But that doesn't matter. It It still counts. I know, it is the rule, and they are playing by it, and there you go. 
I want him to be recognized in the official annals, and you have seven innings. You just put it in there. I called up the home run leaders. Of the top 15, you've got four or five guys, in your mind, five, who are cheaters. Of the top five, in your mind, you've got three of the five. Because Bonds leads, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. Aaron's second, Ruth is third, A-Rod is fourth, and Pujols, who you believe is a cheater, yep. is fifth. So that's three. That's five, three of the five. Three of the five. But they're yeah. all recognized. They're all there. Now, we know in our minds, certainly without question, two of them, and A-Rod is multiple, but yet he's still there. Same thing with Bumgarner. He still should be there, but it's a seven inning. All right. He didn't get the opportunity to complete the thing. And the way he was going and the way the Braves were going, yeah. who knows? You can stick <laughs> your bat out and get a bloop we had, or a swinging bunt. Yeah. Any number of things could happen for those final six outs. But it needs to go in and it needs to be recognized as a seven-inninger because that's what they're going to do. And anybody who thinks otherwise is absolutely wrong. I just want to uh, put an exclamation point. I know we got to go to break, Yak. But I just they ought to be playing nine-inning games this year. And I get that there could be COVID tests and a lot of doubleheaders. Last year, they didn't have the minor leagues to call guys up. They've expanded pitching staffs from what used to be nine or ten guys. Now it's, 12, now. now it's 12 or 13. Alternate training sites where they're calling them right now. now the the minor training leagues sites are right playing now. right now. Right, but they have alternate they have training sites. Right now. They have alternate training sites, so they have guys you can call up who are pitching and are active. As they did last year. So, do it. Go with the nine-inning games. If you want to expand the roster, that's fine. If you have to call guys up, call guys up. If it would mean lesser pitchers and more offense, who has ever complained about more offense in baseball? Nobody sits at an 8-6 game and says, I wish this game were 2-1. If you get 2-1 and you got, you know, Kershaw and whoever else in a pitcher's duel, great. But, you know, if it's 8-6, I'm pretty entertained. So I I just wish they were playing nine-inning games. And then we could have seen if Bumgarner could have finished that off or not. And I do think there'll be a list of seven inning no hitters out there. The best thing that happened to Bumgarner is there'll be more of these, and then there will be some accommodation because the argument you're making, a lot of people are going to make. And if it's the list being kept unofficially, it eventually is going to be kept officially, whether anybody likes it or not. You know, they have an asterisk seven inning games list, and whoever gets on it because of some rain shortened game at six innings can go on it too. All right, DJ PK. When we come back, uh, we got more you weighing on in on what went wrong with the Jazz. Can it go wrong again? We will get to that next. Stay with us. Mother's Day is May 9th. Get the best blanket ever that is also the best gift ever for Mother's Day with Miki Couture. Sandy and her staff are doing it again for our listeners, helping you get it right for Mother's Day. Get 50% off now. When you mention Zone 50 at a store near you or online at MikiCouture.com. The promo code, Zone50. If you want 50% off, use Zone50. That's Minky Couture for Mother's Day. Question of the day. Try to explain how bleeping the Jazz lost to Minnesota. Bleep, 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 bleeping. In honor of the late, great Jerry Sloan, how the bleep, bleep, bleeping did that happen? And let me tell you. The sarcasm is flowing freely, PK. The comedy is nonstop. 
They <laughs> didn't score as many points as the Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, that's always funny. Comma, David. You know, David, your wife thinks you're funny, and that's it. Josh, it's a long season and things happen. Period. You're welcome. Period. That's Josh Newman from the Salt Lake Tribune. Thank you, Josh. Thanks. Long season? Well, it certainly is a long season. Things happen. They happen. Uh, okay. If, I don't know that I want to just settle on that, though. You know, I was listening to Thurl, and I uh, thought, or maybe it was Mike Smith. Uh, I forget which one was saying it afterward. You know, you don't go crazy, but you just don't blow it off either. There's an area in between that you have to learn, have to be aware, have to benefit from. Because losses don't have to just be a complete and total loss. They are in the standings, obviously. But obviously you can benefit from good and bad. And so that's what I think that they will do. I don't think there's any question. They've probably already done it, that that's what they do. And, you know, why did you lose? What can you do to avoid this or that, improve upon this or that? And so you can gain stuff. You you can gain stuff from every time you walk out on that floor, for sure, practice or game. You should anyway, because no one's playing the perfect game by any stretch. So uh, that's... It's more of a mental approach that I didn't like. And I think Quinn Snyder, and I want to ask Steve Cleveland this, it's an interesting situation to have yourself in. You give certain players, a lot of them, have free reign to shoot, right? And so you don't want to hinder or hamper that. But the player has a responsibility to make sure it's a good shot. And how do you balance all that stuff? Because I thought Clarkson, who has complete and total free reign, at least it appears, I thought some shots that they got no chance to go in. You know, why don't you just throw the ball out of bounds so you can set up your defense? And so how do you balance having free reign with the responsibility to make sure you're taking a quality shot? You know, I think that is, uh, and that's a good question for Steve, and he's coming up at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, but I do think that's also changed just in the, I mean, Steve's been retired for a while, but he hasn't been retired that long, but I think the NBA in the last 5 to 10 years, they've come into so much money, I think that's changed. I think the way someone would have dealt with it in the NBA in 2005 or 2010 when Steve was still coaching college basketball and Jerry Sloan was still coaching the Jazz with a three- or four-person staff, that was one, it was one way to handle it then. Uh, now, I think Joe Ingles told us about this when he was on last week, and he said, you know, i got one coach to work with me. If I want to go get shots up, I just call him, and, and we go get shots up and work on whatever I need to work on. If it's shooting, if it's ball handling, you know, they can watch film. Um, I mean, there's stuff now you, you can watch film separate hotel rooms or if you're at home, separate homes. And I think with Clarkson, the thing to go through is every time he's got the ball, when did you pass up a shot? When did you take the right shot? When did you take a shot you shouldn't have taken? Whoa, whoa, whoa. When did he pass up a shot? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, make sure you call me when that happens. (laughs) Well, I think when it happens is uh, when he's driving. And there are times he wants to get all the way to the rim, and there were times where he should have shot earlier. It's not that he doesn't get the shot up, because I get your point. His field goal attempts per minutes played is, uh, boy, I don't know if it leads the league, but it ought to be close. 
But I think there are times he gets the ball in the perimeter and the time is for a catch-and-shoot jumper. And he would prefer to put it on the floor and get to the rim. And granted, there may not be that many of them, but there are definitely some of them. So I think that one-on-one with every player, because I think the rule is different for every player, and in a timeout in the middle of a game, I don't think you have time to spell that out. You know, and he's got to tell four guys you're passing up open shots, but not you, Jordan. <laughs> you aren't passing up open shots. You know, that's something that in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, at a you know, dead ball, out of bounds, free throw, you can kind of communicate with a guy or communicate with the guys, but you don't have a chance to go through it one at a time. And I think it's way more helpful for the players to know individually, hey, this is what we're looking for from you. Well, Kristobiak has a thing where he gives shots, shots attempted a letter grade, meaning that mm-hmm. there's shots that are A shots, yep. B shots, C shots, so forth. So in each player is going to be, you know, obviously a layup is going to be an A shot or a dunk, but you're not going to get those. I don't expect Conley to be shooting a bunch of layups all the time. So his A shots would be different than somebody else's A shots. But the goal, I would think, is to get as many A shots as you possibly can. Yeah, right. And if they don't go in, that's sort of, so what? That's when you have to accept that it's a make-or-miss league. You get that A shot, even a B shot, you know, 24-second shot clock against a good team, you're not going to get A shots every time down. I mean, you can say you are and that you should, but it's not going to happen. So you're right. right. So... I didn't think shot selection for individuals was a bunch of A shots. I want to avoid as many C and D shots as I possibly can. And some of those you're going to have to take with shot clock situations being what they are. And usually that seems like most of the time that's Mitchell. If not Mitchell, then uh, Clarkson. Those guys get saddled with uh, having to hoist shots that are beating the shot clock. So, you know, I can live with that. I mean, that's going to happen. You get in a situation, whatever it might be, a team is playing good defense on you on an individual possession, so you got to put one up, and it's a tough shot. It's probably got a little chance to go, so it's going to wreck your shooting percentage, which is why I don't look at that exclusively as shooting percentage is the be-all, end-all. I don't look at any stat outside of the final score as the be-all, end-all, because uh, some Rudy's not getting a lot of shots up against a shot clock, so stands to reason his percentage should be a lot better. Obviously, and even Conley uh, have some of those floaters that he has to take, and the perimeter guys with shot clocks dwindling probably are going to get them more opportunities, and so you're not going to make those. Uh, but I want the team to get as many A shots as possible because I think if they do, then wow, their chances of winning go way up, and I think they will too. I just don't. I'm not going to lose sleep over this thing here. And you say, oh, well, if they lose the thing by one game, that's going to come back to haunt them. Well, why do I single out the Minnesota game? I mean, there's a whole bunch of games at that point because you're going to have 15 to 20 losses. I can single out every single one of them and say, well, you, you, know, you could have won this game, you could have won that game. So I don't get caught up in all that stuff because at the same time, you know, if they beat the Suns, say, on Friday, well, that not mean they're going to win it all. So I'm not going to crash and burn because they lost to Minnesota. Same reason I'm not going to go euphoric if they beat the Suns in Phoenix in five days. Look at you, never get too high, get too low. How did you last this long in sports talk radio? 
well, supposed to get me, high and low. Come on now. I don't have that emotional investment, so it's extremely easy for me to do. <laughs> that game was over. I watched a little post game and went to bed. <laughs> it's like slept like a baby. Well, as much as yeah, you ever sleep. Came up and told my wife, did they win? No. Really? I said, yeah, yeah, they didn't play well enough. Oh, okay, good night. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's easy for me to be involved in that stuff or not be involved emotionally. But I think, too, I think it's – I don't want to say easy, but it's something that these guys, I think, have a handle on because it matters, but you're not overthrowing chairs and screaming at guys in film rooms and whatnot. You're learning from it. And don't be so casual, because you're going to get that the rest of the way. Phoenix is going to be way jacked on Friday. There's just no doubt about it, man. They're going to be fired up, that whole town. This is their shot. You know, they, and they haven't had a shot in over a decade. A very proud franchise that hasn't had a sh- haven't been in the postseason in over a decade. I would have, growing up there, when they were regularly rolling out 50-win seasons, I would have never thought they would go 10-plus years, because I think this is their 11th uh, last year was their 11th season, that they did not go to the playoffs. Man, that there's no way I would have ever thought that. Of course, I wasn't living there when Sarver owned the team. So well, I was about to whole... go say, you know, we, we talk about the importance of ownership and praise the Millers, yeah. and it does sound a little, a little homerish, right? We're on the flagship station. But when you see people who live on the East Coast say the same thing and they have no tie to here and they say it, you know, ownership matters. And Phoenix is a great example of that because when Colangelo owned the team, and I know, and he's the favorite son there, and there are places where maybe, you know, he rubs people the wrong way and, you know, they didn't win the championship and, you know, he parades around with the golden tan and the shoulders back. And, well, he does know what he's talking about. It might bug you when he talks the way it is, but, man, they had to break it down for multiple reasons, multiple times, and they always built it back up really quickly. But once Colangelo was out, you know, that, that happens because of people. It happens because of the people in charge. It doesn't just happen because we're Phoenix and we're the Suns, you know. And you fans found that out with Utah basketball, right? When you have the right person in charge and they've had the right person multiple times, you get on these awesome runs. And it doesn't matter what decade it is and who the coach is. But then if you don't have one of those people – you know, the NCAA tournament bids get a little thin. And Phoenix found that out because Sarver couldn't do what Colangelo did. And you could probably do, recount them better than I can, but they had multiple groups in Phoenix, and they broke it down and rebuilt it and never stayed down. And then Sarver was you know, basically down for a decade with exception of one year. Hornacek had a pretty good team one year, and they went 48 games and didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, Colangelo, yeah. Is, was, he still is the man there. There was one time I was down – was down on an assignment. I forget what the assignment was, uh, and I was in Phoenix, right? So I'm staying at my parents' house, and I'd put in a call to Mr. Colangelo and uh, about something. I can't even remember what it was, and maybe it was Hornacek retiring or what. I don't remember, uh, but uh, he called me back. He called me at my parents' house, and my mother answers the phone. And they asked me, you know, he says, Patrick, can you hand there? Yeah, yeah, okay, hand it to me. So my parents are both there, and I'm, they could tell it was an interview. Who was that? I said, that was Jerry Colangelo. <laughs> what? <laughs> you? Our little boy is talking to Jerry bleeping Colangelo? 
Yeah, so he really was the man. Still is. There's a lot of respect there in the Valley for sure. He's known as the godfather of Phoenix sports. He came out, I think he got the job at GM when he was like 27, 28. And he was from Chicago, right? And so he comes out and uh, he has the interview. And uh, they ask him, you know, what makes you think uh, at this young age that you think that you should have this job? And he said, well, you obviously do, or else you wouldn't have flown me out here for the interview. <laughs> and then it kind of took him back a little bit, and, and, and he got the job and, and a very, very dominant figure in Phoenix sports. But the point is, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Jazz have got to match some intensity if, if, if they really want the number one seed, because everybody's going to have it. And even, the, and even more so if you should have guys out. Because this is this is really their chance to make a mark. So, what, how many games they got left? 14, 13? No, no, I think they're under that now. Are they down? To, are they down to the dirty dozen now? Yes. Yeah. That's what they're at. They've played sixty. Well, they got remaining. they played sixty. They got twelve to go. Okay, a lot of these teams, man, that are going, they're going to be facing. They're going to be fired up to play these guys and I want the Jazz just to have a mental edge. I don't think they had the mental edge against the Timberwolves on Saturday. That's probably the number one thing that bothered me is they didn't have the mental edge and they got that lead and it just came too quick. It was too easy. They're at home. They got a little bit of a crowd in the audience, you know, feeling good about themselves as they should. But make sure that when you get to 17 point lead, well, let's make it 24 going into halftime. You know, let's really put them away because obviously the bigger the lead with the less time remaining is going to be more difficult for the team to come back. But 17 points in the first quarter, really, I don't want to say who cares because that's not it. But certainly it's not an overwhelming deficit that the other team cannot overcome. You know, 17 points in the fourth quarter late in the third, that's another story, which we've actually we've seen teams do that. But certainly in the first quarter, uh, it's plenty, plenty of time, plenty of possessions left to overcome that. So the great thing about it is, though, it, it, it's only Minnesota. But doesn't it just kind of ramp up the ante for tonight's game a little bit? Of course it does. Of course it does. Yeah. To get to lose That's good. to get to get embarrassed at home, to give away a game, everybody knows you should have won. They're team twenty nine, your team won, and you turn around and play forty eight hours later. If this hasn't amped you up a little bit, I mean you're always looking for something, right? Jordan would make stuff up to motivate yeah. him. Well you don't have to make it up now. It's real. It's the scoreboard from the last game. What's more important than the final score? It went the wrong way. It's the same exact team. Of course, if it's not ramped up tonight, then that's a big old gigantic uh, you know, red flag going up. I mean, I, honestly, I think the last Saturday was a red flag going up. You know, it's stuff went wrong. You, you started out, you had the right mindset, you're dominating after a quarter, and Quinn said they lost their focus. They clearly did. It happens. It's a 72-game season. You can't be great every quarter. The red flag to me is in the playoffs, there's a couple things you got to do if you're going to win it all. And one is you got to be big on the biggest stage. When everyone says it's a huge game, you can't be nervous. You got to go out there and do your thing to the level you normally do it. But you also have to, and all the champions can do this, any great player, who any great team, 
any sport, they do this. Stuff goes wrong. It just does. It goes wrong in the middle of the game, and you got to turn it around. You're going to fall behind. They're going to make plays. you got to turn it around. And it doesn't matter if you're in baseball and you got to come up with two runs in the last couple innings. It doesn't matter in football if you're down 10 in the fourth quarter. It doesn't matter in basketball if you need three stops and three buckets. Well, you just go do it. And you, you have to have that like internally. Maybe a coach can help you with it a little bit at a timeout, but it's basically on the guys. And the fact that it went wrong against Minnesota, I totally get. But the fact they couldn't turn it around, especially when I thought they had turned it around and they'd retaken the lead, ah, but it's what you said earlier. Minnesota had too much confidence, but it, it, it bugged me that the Jazz you know, went two and a half or three minutes, whatever it was, from that second bogey three when they took the lead until Clarkson hit a late three when basically they weren't going to do it. I mean, maybe they could have, but man, stuff really would have had to line up. But in between, they had several possessions, and they, they had a, a missed three and an offensive rebound, another missed three, and they had a, a turnover on an attempted lob. I mean, there were, there were opportunities to finish that game, and we would be in here talking about, well, it was a messy win, but they got it done in the end. I just don't think that you can undervalue the ability of a team to turn things around in the middle of the game when it's not going right. That's an awesome power to have, and you need it in the playoffs. You need it. And the fact they didn't have it Saturday, if that bugs you, well, you're right there with me because it bugs me too. And that's why we got people tweeting at us stuff like uh, they aren't as good as advertised. Uh, championship teams, uh, Dr. Sarcastic Coog at Blue Blood Coog, hardcore BYU fan. I don't know, but championship teams don't do that at home. That's probably a little more than you want to put on a PK. But I think he's feeling a little bit of yeah. what I felt, and that's why he's putting it on him. I do have a problem that any one thing that happens in a regular season game a uh, month before the playoffs decides that that's how the playoffs are going to go. I think we can go back and look at past championship games. Yeah, but whatever. I, I'll tell you why people th- – I, I, I think there's a specific reason why people think that about the Jazz, and we can get to that. All right, we'll get to that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Angela Lansbury, bed knobs and broomsticks. It wasn't raining yet, but it was definitely a little misty on that warm November night. And my heart was pounding, my inner voice resounding, begging me to turn away. And then you casually walked in the room. And I was twisted in the web of my desire for you. What the hell is that? <laughs> that is being blindsided. You guys all make fun of me like I'm the only person that had a crush on Angela Lansbury. You are the only person that, that had is, a crush on Angela That is not true. No, it is pretty much true. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now. You can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. All right, we are asking the question this morning. Try to explain how the bleep the Jazz lost to Minnesota. In honor of Jerry Sloan, bleep, bleep, bleep. How did that happen? Oh, bleep. Team 29 beat Team 1. Now, there's some people who are just shaking it off, PK. 
Hamlet tweets at us, it's the balance of the universe. Didn't RSL beat Minnesota's team? Well, the Jazz sacrifice allowed that to happen. All right, some people are just going to have fun with it, and that's good. That's certainly as quirky an answer as any other we're getting this morning. But there are some people for whom this really hits home, and you say there is a reason that this really hits home and can't be shaken off. That's the difference between you and me. You describe that uh, post on Facebook as quirky. I describe it as stupid and a waste (laughs) of time. Uh, That sums up you versus me right there. If you can, read the one that you read right before we went to break about this is not a championship team. You have that there? Uh, Yeah, they're coming in fast and furious, but let me find it. It's here... uh... Yeah, there were, there were a couple of them. Uh, Thank you said they are not as good as advertised. And Dr. Sarcastic Coog said, I don't know, but championship teams don't do that at home. Yeah, and see, that's the great reason, and it's the great motivator, because this team, it's not universally doubted, but it's widely doubted. And until they prove it, It's always going to be there. And that's the great thing. I felt they lacked for motivation to an extent. Uh, To me, casual is the word I'm putting on that performance on Saturday. A lot of folks saying this is not a title caliber team because of the fact that, well, look, man, they lost to Minnesota. See, see, I told you. I told you. There's going to be a huge I told you on this team when the postseason starts. There's never been a team in franchise history, never, that has been this good but yet has this many doubters. No, without question. You combine the two. That's 100% true. Well, first off, there haven't been that many teams that have been this good. They're they're winning 73% of the games right now. You know, you're basically, I'd have to do the math, but you're right at about a 60-win pace. Well, there haven't been that many 60-win teams in Jazz history. And you, you get into the 90s, and they had three of them. So I guess maybe that first team that won 60. The 97-98 teams, there was more competence in those teams than in this team. No, I don't even think that first team did because there wasn't a, there wasn't a LeBron in a Western Conference right. at that time. No, There was there a Kobe and Shaq, but they weren't the Kobe and Shaq of maturity. Yeah, I think at that point it was, Jackson. it was more Hakeem and the Rockets. That's it. Yeah. Robinson and the and, Spurs, and Seattle was pretty good in that era with, uh, yeah, there was a Seattle, uh, Sean Kemp and Gary I, I, Payton. Those but none the big of those dogs. guys are LeBron. Right, yeah, those are the just, big dogs, and none of them go to that level. Yeah. Right. So with that is leading to a whole lot of doubt. Here we are with 12 games left, and they lose a game, and so many folk come out of the woodwork and basically saying, see, I told you. I mean, you can use whatever words you want to use, but that's essentially what they're saying, see, I told you. And here we are this deep in the season, and they're still facing that. That's why the playoff this year just has so much intrigue and so much entertainment value because if they should get it done – then this is the team that can stand up there and say, I can't say nobody, but there's a lot of folk just don't believe in this team. And each time they stumble, which they did on Saturday, they come running at you, metaphorically. <laughs> they let you know about it right off the bat, man. See, look at man, Come on, get out of town. This team isn't that good. So it's so fun. If they want 
you should have intrinsic motivation, and the motivation is there to win it all, obviously. But if you believe in that stuff or you think that the other teams need it, and if Jordan looked for it, why shouldn't Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell? You can argue that. Well, it is there. It is there in abundance, which makes this so much more fun. You know, when, when you can prove people wrong, believe me, man, I've been doing it left and right. I'm doing it all the time, not so much anymore, but even in the radio, I mean, people just didn't didn't believe me. Who's this no-name dude with this East Coast attitude? Do we really want him on the air? And you have to prove it. you got to go to work, and you got to grind every day, and you got to show people, and you got to come up with a bunch of stuff over the years, magic happens, or let down 9 million Mormons, and all the stuff that I got on my own. Nobody got it for me. I got it on my own to prove that, hey, I know what I'm doing here, and that's what's fun about this team. And I'm so intrigued to see if they can do it because there's never been a Jazz team that has been this successful but yet been doubted this much. And it comes back to the first-round playoff loss. If Conley, if that shot goes in instead of rattling out and they win a series, and I don't know what happens in the next series with them and the Clippers. Denver obviously took down the Clippers. If they'd been deeper in the playoffs, it wouldn't be so many doubts. But I think that debate the TNT guys had, I think it was Thursday night, and Kenny Smith jumped in with, you know, well, how many teams win a championship after going out in the first round? You know, if they go to a conference final and get beat this year, they can win it next year. Kenny was completely on board with that. He volunteered that. But Barkley triggered the whole thing saying the Jazz are getting overlooked. They could do it. And I think there's two, there's one word, and you're very precise with your words, PK. You're far more precise than I am on the whole. And if people say can't, I immediately disagree. They can. Now, if you want to say won't, that's different. You know, and that goes back to are they the favorite or are they a contender? You know, they've got a shot at doing this. When you tell me they have no shot, now, if you want to tell me they don't have the best shot, that the Lakers and the Nets and I don't know whoever else you want to put them have a better shot, I don't think that can be debated. And I don't think Jazz fans' back should be up over that, although they may be, you know, depending on how emotionally attached you are to the team. When you say they can't, no, come on. They can. They clearly can. They've got a shot here. Uh, do they have the best shot? No, I don't think they do have the best shot. But they got a shot. So is it teams or is it players? Is that what because Kenny it's, Smith it's mostly he did and he he didn't get credit for this and he kind of said under his breath he didn't sell it hard, but he did set aside teams that have acquired players who've got championship experience. And he said something real quick like, "Well, if you go out and get a player, yeah, well, that's what the Nets did. You know, the Nets that's is a all group. it takes. The Nets is a group. I think when you have a leader who's been in those big moments, I think that's a huge advantage over a." And, and it's been in the big moments and succeeded, that's the best. That's the best thing you can do. So the Nets getting Durant, although the Nets haven't been champions, he's been there and he's both won it and lost it. You know, he's been to the finals, what, four times now? Because he went once with Oklahoma City and lost to Miami and LeBron. And he went three times with the Warriors. They won a couple and then the year he gets hurt, they lost. So, yeah, do I think the Nets are in a different place preparation-wise for winning a title than the Jazz or the Suns or the Nuggets? Yes. Yeah, I really believe they are. Now, the Lakers so you, are in a different place have, than the Nets because the Lakers— You don't even have, have to be the group. primary guy then. 
You just uh, got to be on a team that wins it and play a nice role, and you're no, good to I go? No, think, I think being one of the two or three big dogs is different than being guy six, seven, or eight, if that's what you mean. You know? I think that... Uh, no, I play an important role. Yeah. That's yeah, what I'm, uh, right. I think, because in, in, in Golden State, with, with Curry and with Durant and with Klay Thompson, yeah, if I had one of those guys leading my team, I would feel differently than if I had, uh, I don't know, Iguodala and uh, who am I leaving out? I don't know. I'm blanking on which Warriors team is which now. They changed a little bit over time. Oh, Livingston. Livingston, Draymond Green. You know, Draymond Draymond Green, as good as he is, and as much as he's been an important part of that, you know, he didn't have the responsibility of taking the big shots and the big moments. You know, when you really have to go get a bucket. Yeah, the problem with Durant, and here's the problem with Durant. This is what. Here's a. Uh, well, yeah, because he hit the big shot in overtime no, for did, the Cavs. Did, no, that's because LeBron gave him the ball. I, I agree. I agree. But he did it, and that counts for something. And he was. He did it, but if he failed, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. It would have been yeah, on LeBron. It is different, and that's why that's why I'll go to. Do I think that that? And they didn't get into this part of the discussion. Do I think the Lakers have more to draw on than, than the Nets? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Obviously, they got LeBron. Right. They got LeBron, and also the group did it together, and that counts for something. You know, the whole mm, be connected yeah. and read each other's minds in the big moments and know who's supposed to take the shot where. And the Lakers have been yeah. throwing the Nets haven't. So do the Lakers have more of them than the Nets? Yes. But do the Nets have more than the it. Yeah. I think it's basketball. I mean, they the Lakers have been together, yep. so they got a bunch of guys who know. Hey, get the ball to this guy. <laughs> I mean, do you really need to be together to know that? Yeah, but I think what you know is that LeBron, <laughs> at a big moment, might give you the ball and might expect you to have your Steve Kerr moment. You know, <laughs> like well, yeah, you're a your professional Paxton, basketball your player. Paxton moment. Of course you should. You're going to get the ball. If he, if he deems it, but it's all on him. Because if he deems you worthy to give you the ball, if you don't have confidence at that point, you're not even going to be in the league. So and, I don't and, buy the, the Nets goes, deal. I don't, I don't buy all that. So do you think they're starting from the same place the Jazz and the Suns are? Not having championship experience? I, no, no, they got better players. So that's why they're starting from a better position. I'm not, because under your theory, they don't. What's the difference if you got three superstars? James Harden hasn't done it, nope. so he's just as much a superstar as Mike Conley. But to Kenny Smith's point, that Harden has been in conference finals and been on the second best team, and so this could be his moment to kick the door in and make the big play. Whereas the yeah, team because he's got been, better players on the his team, team that's been out in the first round isn't gonna kick that door down in multiple rounds and go all the way and win the title. And I think that was well, be, that was Kenny Smith's because point. they're not good enough. Well, that's Shaq's point. <laughs> the, Shaq's yeah. point is even less nuanced. I mean, hey Donovan, you're not good enough. Not even hey, nice game, thirty four points, whatever it was. That's why I ran into the post game show. But you're not good enough. I just said you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Shaq's if they don't win the title, that's nuanced. what it's going to boil down to. They're not good enough. Because under that theory, then if they get to a second or third round, then they're going to win it next year? Kenny was leaving the door open for that. I mean, we're going to have a round of free agency and trades, and we'll have a bunch of injuries, and we'll have a trade deadline. I mean, there's no guarantees, and a lot's going to happen, and another super team may form. Right. I mean, there's all so kinds there's of no guarantees either way. 
but and there and how did Curry get to win the title until he won the title? And that is the thing that they didn't bring up, at least in the clip I saw, because I wasn't watching it live. But it's on my Twitter feed when I because that's where I saw the clip. And it's like, well, the answer is the Warriors because the Warriors went second round, then they went out in the first round, and then they won the championship. So they hadn't had a taste. Of the yeah, but did time. they get better? You don't just they because did. you go out in the second round doesn't mean you're going to go out in the third round. That's, and then when you go out in the third round, you're going to win it all. It doesn't work that way. That's you true. got to be better. That's true. But you you have said this many times. You know it's true that over the last thirty or forty years, with the exception of you know Max Johnson and and Steph Steph Curry, mostly you've got to fail multiple times, inch closer, and then you eventually get there. That's if you how, get better, that's how you Jordan, don't eventually get it. No, I don't. I don't think you. Well, not everyone. Get it. Not everyone did, but that's how the Celtics did it. That's how the Sixers did it. That's how the Pistons did it. It's how the I'm leaving somebody out. Um, well, it's how the Bulls did it. I mean, on and on. All right, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven-five and twelve eighty. The zone. Steve Cleveland's coming up in fifteen minutes. Stay with us. The big show. The big show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. Jazz winning some games without Donovan Mitchell. They're not playing the greatest competition necessarily, Howard, but what does it say about a team that they can keep winning basketball games without their number one offensive guy? I think what's encouraging about it is what happens in the playoffs if Donovan Mitchell's got an off game. If the defense is totally geared toward stopping him, does the offense have alternatives? Is there another way to attack that relies on everybody else? You don't want to be too dependent on one player when it gets to the postseason. So winning without Mitchell right now, I'm not saying it's some sort of preview or guide for the postseason, but it does build confidence and it does show they've got alternatives. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. One out away from a complete game shutout and seven no-hit innings. And the reason we can't call it a no-hitter is because in 1991, Major League Baseball made a rule that you had to play nine innings and have the lead to get a no-hitter. First pitch to Ozuna. He lines one to right, right at Josh Rojas and seven no-hit innings for Madison Bumgarner as the D backs sweep a double header from Atlanta seven to nothing the D-backs pouring onto the field and congratulating Bumgarner there's the Chevy strong play of the game know it today 450 on the big show and you can win fabulous prizes and of course that'll be kind of the end of the big show because the pregame show starts at five because the game starts at six with the Jazz and the Timberwolves in Minnesota Madison Bumgarner seven innings of no-hit ball, but officially he doesn't get a no-hitter. And PK, you are outraged. <laughs> Although most of the people on our Facebook page are not outraged. Most of them are like, yeah, seven innings. He didn't get him out in the eighth and ninth. Can't give it to him. Sure you can. You, you give can. him a seven-inning no-hitter. He goes down as a seven-inning no-hitter. MLB's going to play with Simple these rules. That. It counts. Yeah. These are the rules they created. Well, when they created that rule that you had to have lead and had to go and, and at least nine, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's they didn't have. There was no such thing as a seven-inning major league game. And I guess, you know, it could be uh, postponed and whatnot. Uh, or, uh, yeah, with rain. But a lot of those games, they, uh, they continue. Uh, like the Diamondbacks and the Reds just had a, a suspended game and they continued it the next day. 
And so uh, they did that, right? And then, then they played nine innings in the second game. Well, it's a new day. You got you to gotta adapt. See, your problem, DJ, you don't adapt. I mean, you're, 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 I'm the great adapter. I adapt. Got any songs about adapting, Yach, you can play us out with? The Great Adapter. I don't remember that hit. Well, hey, I'm a great adapter. Went to Canada, starred as a raptor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come back at me. You know what I'm saying? No, I really don't. <laughs> Although I didn't mind raptor. That wasn't that wasn't, that wasn't We bad. had a very extensive like music playlist in here. I typed in adapt. Nothing, nothing came up. Nothing at all. <laughs> Isn't somebody singing that song? Oh, yes, I'm the great adapter. Woo, woo. Who sang that tune? No idea. Well, it's Pretender, but I don't know who sang it. It's probably back in the 60s or 50s. I'm the great pretender. I don't know. I don't know if somebody sang it. I'm not, I'm not sure who. But I think you got to change. You got to go with the – you got to flow. I don't think the, – the funny thing is the way they reacted – you know, I, I wasn't watching the game live, but I saw it, uh, obviously, in the highlights, that they, how were they quite sure? They ran to the mound, and they jumped up and down and all, and Bumgarner, who doesn't seem like he's the uh, friendliest of dudes. <laughs> he's not the most fun guy in the room. <laughs> no, he seems like a Randy Johnson-type player. Maybe not quite as uh, ornery uh, as Randy Johnson was. But then they'd start gathering around. He's a big dude, too, man. He's a, Bochi used to call him, what, a country guy? As strong as an ox. You well, know he's a mean? bull rider, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, he did do that. And I think he's a, he's a rancher. Uh, so uh, then they, they kind of jumped. And then he finally did break out a little bit of a smile. But it's not the same as a nine. I get that. But I still think that these are the rules that they created. That's like saying, okay, what do we do on the Jazz? It's not an 82-game season here. So, why should this really count? But yet it does. Yep. What's you the decide, difference? You, well, you decide ahead of time what counts and what doesn't. You know, and, and I guess the difference is the no hitters or footnotes, uh, and you're playing for a championship, and that is the reason you're going to play. So if you play, if you're all in to go get it, and then you don't get it, I just don't think you should be complaining about it. You're, you're all into play to go get it, and you're all cashing the checks, so go get it. And then a footnote, you can argue over a footnote whether this counts or that counts. All this other stuff has footnotes. I mean, you're playing for the championship. I think it should be a footnote. It's just, it's just, it's just like the uh, home run, all these stats, man. Yeah. Everybody's out. That's why Pete Rose should be in the hall. Because it really happened. At 4,200 or whatever many hits he had, I don't know off the top of my head. Whatever that is, that's what he had, and then later on he was banned from baseball because he violated one of the basic premises of the game. You cannot bet on baseball, and he did bet it's, on his team. Yeah, and who knows what else he did? Uh, <laughs> that that's just what we know. But that's right. that's by baseball standards, that's horrific. So whatever else happened. Uh, he bet on his team to win. Well, that's just completely out of bounds. You can't do that. Well, yeah, it's, and, and who knows what else. So, so you put that in there, and you put the person's story. 
just like this. Well, this was a seven-inning no-hitter, and the reason why, and you think they should go back to nine. Yeah. Probably not going to do it this year because they already made the rule. Right. So my, and they don't play double-headers ever uh, anymore. They, I mean, they play do, day-night, which is like playing two single games in one day. It's right. not a true it's not, double-header. It's not a double-header. It's no. not 25 minutes to go to the locker room, get something to eat. Come, you know, change unis and come back out and play again. I was a kid, and my father got tickets to the Mets, and they were a doubleheader. And he told me, you were going to go doubleheader. And I said, you mean I'm going to go be at Shea Stadium for like six, seven, eight hours? Yep. I said, oh, take me now. Literally, take me now. I mean, as a kid, that was so awesome. And then, a few years later, in Oakland, I got Reggie Jackson's autograph after a doubleheader. And, man, he was furious. He was, I've been at the ballpark all day. Well, my mother knew his girlfriend's mother. And she dropped her name. Reggie stopped in his tracks. (laughs) It's... Knew he had the sign. <laughs> and I got a picture of me. I'm like 12 years old. A picture of me and Reggie, and only one of us was smiling. <laughs> <laughs> did you enable everyone to catch up to him, or did you just get to be one and done? Or did no. they, everyone got him at that point? There wasn't. A, there was a lot of kids in the neighborhood, and there was a bunch of kids on bikes, and they stayed. So there wasn't a lot of people, maybe 20, 25, but he did sign for all of them. And oh, he was so peeved. And then I remember him saying, man, we just played a doubleheader. And I, and I said something like, gosh, I wish I could play a doubleheader. And so then he realized he had to sign. So he signed. I took the picture. They snapped the picture. I got it somewhere. And he wasn't smiling. And then uh, he got, uh, after he got done, he got in his sports car. By that time, that parking lot was completely empty. And he squealed the tires and peeled out. And just hauled out of the parking lot. And little did I know at that time, years later, both of us would be Arizona State legends. And on that note, <laughs> Steve Cleveland's coming up next. All these basketball things, all the stuff about the jazz that we've been arguing about. We're running all past Steve. See what he thinks. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The spring LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of the contacts and the glasses. Save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So this will shock you, but PK and I have spent a little time here since the Jazz lost to uh, Minnesota debating and arguing about what the heck went wrong, and we only agree about half of it. So, why don't you jump in, because we are really curious which side you're going to come down on. How the heck do you lose to Minnesota? We know there are the 20 turnovers, and Quinn Snyder pointed out, I think it was 20 points off 11 offensive boards, and they scored 40 points in the first quarter and then didn't even get 60 the rest of the way. What went wrong? What happened? How does this happen? How does Team 29 beat Team 1? You know what? It, it is a game that uh, involves people, and and uh, you know it's interesting. I you start thinking about how upsets happen at home, especially, and 
you know, it starts, well, you know, the first thing you could say, well, we, we can think of a lot of excuses. You know, obviously our leading scorer is not playing. But that being said, this is a team that's, uh, you know, hasn't, I don't know, I think what have they won, 16, 17 games on a year. And uh, so we, we throw that out the window. Uh, but I think sometimes, despite the chemistry of this team, the experience of this team, uh, and nobody wants to admit it, but th- it's hard sometimes to get up for certain teams. Now, you wouldn't think it would be Minnesota after they had already beaten them once. And, uh, but mentally and emotionally, sometimes uh, players do. But I think most of all, you mentioned it, being careless with the ball. But I think that being careless with the ball is more than just what, what it turned out to be in terms of points. It, what happens, especially teams on the road that haven't won much, uh, their confidence, they get confidence. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm getting to the rim. You know, you know, Edwards is getting to the rim, rather than, even though he's a pretty doggone good three-point shooter. But anytime you can get to the rim, score, it increases your confidence. And especially in games where there were Jazz were up big, they lost, the, you know, all of a sudden late. This is not a team that, you know, that normally they would lose that game, probably nine times out of ten. But what's happened, now they're playing with confidence. And the confidence has come from Utah's mistakes, carelessness with the ball, you know, not, not you know, a variety of things and errors that took place. But the other thing is this. This is the NBA. And Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, those guys are all capable of going for 25, 30, or 40. It's not like, you know, I think sometimes we look at the record and go, these guys just must be horrible. Well, they haven't had a really good year, correct. But it does not mean they don't have guys that can fill it up on any given night. And when a team kind of just hands it to them with easy points off turnovers, transition baskets, it just instills the confidence and they start believing they can win. So it's a, you know, it's a collection of different things. But certainly uh, any time a, uh, a team that really comes into a game, those kind of teams you put away early, they usually quit. And you just kind of coast through and win it. But uh, – you know, the Jazz decided to be in a giving mood, and once they did that, Minnesota got the confidence back. They have talent. There's no, you know, the, the idea that these guys aren't capable of beating people, you know, they can, especially when they're at a high confidence level. They're on the road. The crowds aren't that big anyway. It's, it's kind of like playing a neutral site game. I mean, the fans are as loud as they can be, but it's not like there's 20,000 people in there either to kind of turn the tide and help that. So, those are my thoughts. It happens at every level, high school, college, the NBA, and it usually has to do with mistakes teams make more so than another team just coming in and just playing amazing and, and finding a way to win that way. So coaches tend to worry about everything. The Jazz ro- roll out to a 17-point lead in the first quarter. Did you ever get concerned that, hey, this may, come, may have come too easy for us, so we got to make sure we crack down? I don't, I don't think there's any question. I mean, you you want to get in. When you're up 17 that early, you're, every time out is about defending, taking care of the ball, even before the turnovers come. Because mentally and emotionally, you get you get in a place where you get comfortable. And when you get comfortable, they are pros. I mean, the, the Jazz have obviously demonstrated that they're a great basketball team, but uh, they're not immune to overlooking people either. They're not immune to my view, especially when you're playing three and four games a week. It's easy to lose your concentration. And once you do that, and then all of a sudden uh, a team that hasn't won 20 games this year starts believing they can beat anybody. And and they can. They can if you don't do that. So I think as a coach, you really try to protect against that. 
because everybody kind of gets happy. You get up big, everybody's enjoying it. We're still sharing the ball and doing things, but, but all of a sudden we get careless with the ball and uh, thinking that they're, they're not going to come and compete and, and try to make a game out of this thing. So even to the best of the, of the players, even at the highest level in the world, uh, emotionally and mentally, they, you lose that sharp laser focus, you, you can uh, turn things around real quickly, and that's kind of what happened. So when you get to the playoffs, sometimes you have to turn things around real quickly, and the teams that can do it have a big advantage. But how many parallels should we be drawing between a game in April and what's going to happen in May, June, and July? Well, I, I, I wouldn't personally. I mean, yes, this is a, it is a bad loss. That's just what it is, and you move on. I mean, this, this is not the playoffs, and uh, I, I can't see the Jazz in a, in a situation where they're carelessly just – turn the ball over. Sometimes great defensive teams do that. I mean, Anthony Edwards is a great defender for a rookie. I mean, he's, he's a really, really, really good player. And uh, But that being said, this is a veteran team. You've got a team that's together. They've been together a long time, got a great coaching staff. Everybody's on the same page. I can't imagine. I, listen, the Jazz can get beat in the playoffs, but I would be really, really surprised if it's a sloppy game like this. I mean, no, the focus will be – Right there, intent that they'll be prepared, and uh, and they've got to play well. Don't don't get me wrong; they're not just going to show up and and uh, and get through the playoffs. The playoffs are going to be difficult. So, I, in fact, I was looking at who they could potentially play, and you know, down. I mean, we were talking about. I don't know what's going to happen in these playing games, but you just today, like Portland, Memphis, San Antonio, Golden State. Those are all really, really well coached teams. Pro, you know, teams that. Are, Memphis is hot. Golden State's playing well. San Antonio and Portland have kind of been on the downside. But those are all dangerous teams to play if they end up playing one of those four teams. So they, they certainly can't look past them. Anytime you've got guys like Portland has with guards that can shoot it from the perimeter and just create plays, obviously Steph is scary on any given night. And Memphis is really playing well. So it doesn't matter who you play in the playoffs. You better be ready because uh, that's how upsets happen. And, it's, it's again, it's confidence. You, you let an eighth or a ninth or a tenth seed come in there and win an opener, and wow, you see a team now that's going to be playing at a high level. You just can't afford to do that. I mean, seven-game series, I, I don't really, really think the Jazz are going to have a problem in the first round. But if anything, this Minnesota game is a great teaching point for the coaching staff. Hey, we can be beat by anybody if we're not ready. So, and so you use it at that. Make a positive out of it and just say, listen, we can't do that. It's past and gone. You're not going to sit around and worry about it much more. But when you get in the playoffs, that kind of slippage uh, you know, can send you home quickly. And I don't see that happening with Jazz, but uh, hopefully this is a reminder that if we turn it over like that and allow teams to score at the rim, they, they're confident. They have great players, and anything can happen in this game. And, man, every night there's something crazy going on in the NBA and a lot of it has to do with playing three and four games a week, lots of travel, all back-to-backs. All of those things lend themselves to upsets. So watching that game, I had a little bit of an issue with some shot selection, which is going to happen from time to time with so many shots and possessions and so forth. I'm wondering, you as a coach, how you balance giving players the free reign and confidence to do what they think they can do versus – making sure that you have responsibility and you're taking quality shots? Well, the one thing about the Jazz is that their ball movement is second to none in the NBA. 
I mean, nobody moves the ball. There's not a lot of stationary isolation type things where you take forced contested shots. For the most part, they're taking shots after one, two, three, four, five passes, which lends itself to being consistent, shooting with confidence, and having open shots. Uh, I think the, the thing that you, as a coach, that you want to make sure and you watch film with them, that when we're taking contested shots early in the shot clock, that needs to be corrected. There's no reason for that. I mean, yes, you're going to have to. Sometimes people D up, guard you, and you're going to have to make or take contested shots late in the shot clock. That's one of the things that I look at is I see people taking early contested shots, and, you know, you can't settle. And you find teams that just settle for the jumper or the three early in the shot clock, typically it's going to be a difficult night for them. And maybe the Golden State Warriors, when they had Durant and, you know, and uh, all, all that group where you have three great shooters, uh, with Steph and all, you know, sometimes you can get away with that. But for the most part, I don't think the Jazz are a team. That's just not who they are. That's not the culture of this team. It's great ball movement, take good shots. And when it does happen, you know, you watch film. You talk about it. And, uh, and anybody can have an off night. But, but at the end of the day, you're not going to have, you know, in a seven-game series in the playoffs, uh, those kinds of things can be corrected in a timeout oftentimes or at halftime. And you try to get that back. But there, there are nights. I mean, I remember just even playing, you know, where I felt great going into a game. And, and I think the one thing early on, I always tried to get to the free throw line or get my guys to the free throw line on penetrations so that you could just relax and see the ball go through the basket, especially for, for guys that were kind of up-and-down shooters. I wanted to get them to the free throw line. I wanted them to get a layup. I wanted to run an ISO for them rather than to have their first two or three shots be three-pointers. Uh, Obviously, these are pros. These guys can all shoot it. But there is something about making early baskets in games where that basket gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But, the, you know, the, the biggest no-no there is taking contested shots early on. And, and what happens late in a game when you do that and you get caught and, uh, and then all of a sudden defensively it, the opponent ratchets it up and they're contesting – They've got the confidence, and then all of a sudden they have the advantage. So early on in games, I mean, they got, they got up 17, and I think it was just a matter of just, I don't want to say overlooking, but just got casual with the ball. Got really casual with the ball, just figured this is going to happen. And they forgot that there was another team that was going to defend and wants to win just as badly as they do. They haven't proven they can do it for a lot of reasons. But when things click in the NBA – uh, every team's got really good players, and you get them going. All of a sudden, when your opponent is playing on the road, I love that to go on the road as a coach. And all of a sudden, uh, you're making baskets, and they're struggling, and they get tighter and tighter, and uh, there's more pressure, and that's where how upsets happen. And oftentimes, it uh, happens at the end of the games, but uh, you know, most of the time, those things sometimes in you know the last four or five minutes, you go on a little run, and then they start pressing. And that happens. And, and it hasn't happened very often for the Utah Jazz this year. Kind of ironic. Uh, and so, I, I, you know, I can see, like, I don't know. Did they play? I can't remember. That loss they had to the Wizards, was that at Washington? They lost to the Wizards home? twice, both at home and at yeah. Washington. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and those teams, with those guards, they can create. And Westbrook can just do – he can go off and do things regardless of who's guarding him. But, again – when you play that way, it's just going to be once in a while where you win big games. And, and that's the thing. You know, the Wizards have won, what, eight or nine in a row. So they're, they're starting to play better. But uh, I think with Minnesota, 
it was just a matter, a combination of things. But obviously, being careless with the ball is what really, really got them Timberwolves a lot of confidence. And once they got that confidence, then they were able to finish it off in a tight game, which normally they probably wouldn't win that game. So Joe Ingles comes on with us every week, and he said uh, something interesting. PK was asking him about you know his his improvement, and then improving again, and then improving again, and he's kind of surprising people. And Joe said, "Well, it's not that hard to improve now because everybody's got a personal coach." And he said he never had that in his career until he got to the NBA and got to the Jazz. And that anytime he wants to watch film, anytime he wants to get shots up or work on you know how he runs a pick and roll or whatever. He's got a coach who will come work with him. And I was thinking to your career, you didn't really have that. The money's really exploded even since you've retired, which wasn't that long ago. And can you imagine what it'd be like if you had, say, 12 to 15 scholarship players and 12 to 15 assistant coaches? How different would things have been for you? <laughs> I, think, I think what's happening, and you see a trending in college basketball, especially at, at kind of the highest level where – there is more money and there's, but it, it, managers, managers play a huge role in the game today collegiately, more so than they did in the past. And not just to, to be, uh, you know, in five on O situations where they're simulating another team's offense or doing those kinds of things. But as I've gone into college, uh, you know, workouts and watch practices and things over the last few years, you, you see that where there is a lot of individual work and, and, and that right now, for young players in high school, especially even, even, I mean, my grandchildren, uh, you know, they, they go to places where they can get individual workouts and, and they, and they have those places here in California. And it's, it's amazing the individual instruction and actually the money being made by, you know, just having personal training for eight, nine, 10 year old kids. And, uh, it, that did, that didn't exist, uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now you'd be hard, you'd be surprised. You probably know, I mean, in, in the state of Utah alone, I know that I have a son that just recently moved back, and his son goes to two or three facilities where they get personal training. And so when you do that at the highest level, when we, when we start doing that at eight, nine-year-olds, it, it, you know that it becomes important to players. And, uh, and you don't have enough coaches to do that. And so I, I, I will say this, though. When I had players that were struggling, whether it was shooting or mentally, just, just, just struggling altogether, I found times, even as a head coach, to just have them come early in the day, late at night, whatever, watch film, work them out, and uh, and, and I had assistants do that at times too. And, and typically they would, but I thought when they and that's not going to happen in the NBA, you know, they're, they're not going to go out there and individually work because that is all set up in the system. But I know for me, when we didn't have those resources and my best player was struggling, I wanted to watch film with him, I wanted to work them out, I wanted to go have lunch with him. Let's let's work through this and get through this, and and those are things I did. But man, today this is a different world. I mean, from the very very young age, all of the ball handling things that I mean, I I couldn't work a kid out today because I can't do any of those things with the ball that uh, younger trainers and younger players do. And my grandkids, I mean, they're they're showing me different things that the NBA guys are doing. They're simply they're watching it on TV, and. Uh, and so that's just kind of where the world is today. It's all about personal trainers. It's all about the handles. It's all about the three-point shot. And young people, young men and young women, are being exposed to this much earlier in their life. So when they get to high school, there's an expectation for that. 
And when they get to, to college, the same thing. There's an expectation to that. And certainly in the NBA where they have all the resources, you're going to get outstanding people working with guys. So it does. You're going to get better. You're going to get better. And, uh, and, and the other thing is that these trainers, they're, they're very skilled in terms of the psyche and, and the emotions and the motivational things that they do. I've watched them. I've watched them with the college kids here in town and high school kids. And I've seen it with my own grandkids. So uh, it's, it's a good thing for, for people, young men and young women who are picking the game up. There's a lot of resources. Um, you know, all of it's, like, way too expensive. But parents are spending a lot of money on young kids these days, hoping that, that they're going to be, you know, the next Steph Curry. Uh, but that's, that's the climate and culture of the world of basketball right now in, in our country, for sure. So how much can a shooter who's pretty much not very good improve his touch or her touch through repetition? Uh, listen, I, it's kind of, you know, I, I would, here's, here's the deal. We'll take my golf game. <laughs> you know, I, uh, when I, when, before I had back issues and other things, I had pretty good flexibility. And, and so we'll take my golf game as an example. And, and, and I kind of had to reconstruct my swing. And I didn't think it was possible, you know. And so I finally found a guy here in town, and we started working on my turn and the tempo and just breaking it down for a guy that's 69 years old. And I'm thinking to myself, I'll never be able to hit a 250 or 260-yard drive again. And it was just incredible with video. All of a sudden, he's showing me my swing. He's showing me, I don't want you to go to the range where you don't have – someone taking a photo, a video of you, watching you. And it's amazing. My, my handicap really hasn't changed, but all of a sudden I'm starting to hit drives longer than I have in the last five or ten years because I'm doing things technically. And so I figure if a 69-year-old a guy can, and can change and get better doing those kind of things because of repetitions, uh, I, I think young players as well as older players, once you see yourself and you start working on the, the, the technique and create that muscle memory – you can do it. It doesn't happen in a week or a month, but you can become a good shooter. And I didn't believe that because sometimes you get guys, you go, you know, we're never going to be able to fix this thing. But over time, I, I do believe that anyone can learn to be a good shooter, but they got to put the time in. And, uh, and I'm not suggesting that they're NBA type, but for high school and junior high school kids and college kids, well, we watched a lot of people that early on struggled. I, I remember Travis Hansen early on. He was so athletic that he had so much spring that it, it flattened his shot. And he figured out how, how to extend and finish that thing up in the air where oftentimes you're shooting it on the way up rather than on the way down where it had a flat trajectory. And by the time you know, he finished playing, he was so comfortable. So, <clears throat> yeah, I do believe it can be done, but you've got to put a lot of time in. <clears throat> and certainly those that are giving the instruction – Need to understand the mechanics of the shot, and uh, but for pros like you know like with, with Joe Ingles, he's got such a pretty stroke, and uh, but occasionally you know I watched Steph Curry play the other night. He couldn't make a basket after he'd been knocking shots down and knocking down shots. You have those nights sometimes, and a lot of it has to do with maybe fatigue. Uh, it just just the grind of playing games all the time that you're going to not always be on, but but. The, you can become a good shooter. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying great, but you can become a good shooter today with, uh, with good coaching, good techniques, videos, 
all of those kinds of things that are being provided. So I, that was not the case 15, 20 years ago. Usually if you couldn't shoot it, people weren't paying much attention to you. We're recruiting guys that can shoot. I don't have time to help. That's not the philosophy at any level anymore. Everybody believes that they can. Though I will say this, probably more time is spent on the handles than it should be. I mean, that's what everybody wants to do, and sometimes they ignore the shooting piece. But for the kids that are really serious and the players that are serious, they want to be able to do both because that opens doors for them to play at the next level. Steph Curry, no matter what he does, even if he goes behind the back on consecutive dribbles, is never off balance. It is (laughs) phenomenal that he is never off balance. He is phenomenal. And uh, just what a joy to watch. And yeah. we're, we're watching him with something that may never happen again. I don't know. Who knows? There probably will be something like him again. But, I mean, what young person doesn't want to be Steph Curry? You know, right. I go and I'm, I'm around a lot of 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds because my grandkids saw it as I go and watch games. And when you watch them in a pregame, they, they are simulating everything that's being done by Steph. I mean, they're, 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 at least they're trying. And uh, so he's impacting basketball globally. Uh, in ways that nobody ever ever has in a long time. Steve, we appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping on. We'll talk to you again next you week. Bet, guys. All right. Have a great week. Bye. All right. When we come back, everything you missed in this show in one segment. We'll get you up to speed next. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Kyrie feeds to Durant. Five to shoot. KD one-on-one with Paul. Right around him to the rim and a two-hand slam for Kevin Durant. Says to Chris Paul, you can't guard me. Kevin Matthew now, left wing outside the arc. Left to circle, Bertons. Bradley Beal out front for three. Oh, it's there! Pretty. It's there! Now Lou Williams gets it over to Bogey. He's wide open. Three-pointer. Bang! Bogey, bang, Donovich. Wide open. And he knocks down the three, and the Hawks lead by a dozen. Curry splits traffic. Head fake. Steps into a three. No. Bounce pass to Draymond. Rotates out. JTA to Curry. By the chase center. Sign! He rattled another one home. Talked a lot of NBA this morning. It was a crazy weekend with the Jazz losing, and the Suns couldn't take advantage of it because they lost to the Nets 128-119. to Locke's theory that the Nets have a ton of offense, and they should be the favorites. Well, Irving had 34 and Durant had 33, so it certainly worked Sunday. And then you heard Steph Curry's magic there. The Warriors aren't going to win it all, but, man, is he fun to watch and impressive. 37 points. He had a great stretch shooting the three. He had one bad game, and he's right back to just being lights out from three again. So some of the uh, the big highlights, the big injury of the weekend, the Nuggets guard Will Barton out for the foreseeable future. A pretty significant hamstring strain, according to head coach Mike Malone. Denver cannot catch a break, PK. No, yeah, actually they're catching breaks in terms of bones and injuries. Uh, that's what you don't want to catch for sure. So... I'm not going to eliminate them, but obviously the task is way tougher. 
As far as the other games this weekend, uh, the Suns, what the Suns and Jazz have done is given the Clippers a shot at the one seed. The Clippers are now tied with the Suns, two games behind the Jazz. The Lakers and Clippers may still end up on the same side of the bracket. Maybe the Clippers end up the one seed here. No. Not happening. They they're going to rest too many guys. They're not going to. They're not going to yeah. repeat this nine and one. They've gone nine and one in their last ten to move from five games back to two games back. But they don't have another nine and one to get in front of the Jazz. Who, by the way, they don't have the tiebreaker advantage. The Jazz do. They got to pass the Jazz. I don't think they want it. I don't think they care about it. Uh, if it's there, I don't think they'll run from it. But they have a pattern of resting players, obviously. And so I think they got to like where they're at, man. Because in a way, it's it's sort of weird, but not a lot of people are talking about them. Last year, it seems like everybody was talking about right. them, me included. Yeah. yeah. I was right there. I was in that group discussing them to win it all. And this year, it seems like they're taking a little step back in terms of the discussion and it's probably a good spot. And Paul George just been really, really playing well. Probably maybe because I'm following him more than ever. Not following him as much when he's with Indiana. Uh, but thinking that this kid is playing the best he's ever played. And boy, they, they, they look like they're they're very, very dangerous. So, I mean, they could get, if they wanted the one seed, I don't say that they could definitely get it because... Uh, if the other teams keep winning, there's nothing you can do at this point. Yeah. Uh, but and and the Suns are right back at it tonight against the Knicks, aren't they? And the they Knicks are. have been playing they great are. ball. Julius Randle has just been playing outstanding. There's no doubt about that. So that's probably a tough loss. So it's two, maybe. Yeah, the Jazz could actually find themselves three games up on the Nets tonight, and then the Clippers can be in second place by the end of the evening. You know, if the Clippers do pull it together and win it all this year, they would not be the first team that made major moves and had them pay off with a title in the second year. That's how it worked for LeBron going back to Cleveland. That's how it worked for LeBron and Dwayne Wade in Miami. It was the second year they broke through and won the title there. I think Duncan won the title in his second year in San Antonio um, with Robinson and that group. So when they got their, their, their first championship... So there are plenty of examples, you know, and if, if Paul George is going to continue this into the playoffs, then they got a shot. Certainly certainly the other two teams people are talking about all have injury issues, and if they get healthy, they look really good, but uh, there's no guarantee they're going to be healthy. So maybe we should be talking more about the Clippers. Oh, I think there's uh, pretty much guarantees the teams that don't have devastating injuries now will be healthy then because that's what they're working for. So if they're not going to be healthy then, when they've been working towards health this whole season, that's sort of somewhat surprising. So I'm expecting those teams will be at full strength until I see otherwise. Now, obviously, the Nuggets are not that team because they've had they've had two, one major injury and one pretty major. We'll have to see to the level of it of its majorness, I guess, so to speak. But I'm expecting these teams to go, and that's why I always thought that. You know, the Nets, oh, people say, well, they don't have enough time on the floor. Okay, this year maybe, but so what? (laughs) If they don't, they don't. What about next year? Because if they win the title next year, I mean, that's just as good as winning it this year if you don't get it done this year. So I always looked at these things that I don't expect necessarily these teams to come together in their complete finality because – I would assume all these guys, the same guys that were there this year, the nucleus with the stars, will be back next year. 
So if they win it next year, I'm sure they'll all take it. So that's something to watch for, even if they don't have the ability to get there this year. I don't know. Maybe they do have the ability. I'm not saying they don't. But if they don't, there's next year, too, for for these guys, too. Uh, We also talked about uh, a little baseball this morning, the Dodgers and Padres. You were nominating them to play literally every single weekend because their games are so entertaining. That would be new. You get 81 games against the Dodgers and 81 games against the rest of the league, or 81 against the Padres and 81 against the rest of the league. Ready, go. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they've had a fantastic seven games. I watched uh, all three games this past weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Thursday wasn't on television for me to be able to watch it. I monitored it, but I couldn't watch it, and I did watch it. Uh, I watched a whole game last night. I mean, geez, started at, what, 5 o'clock? Mm-hmm. Didn't get over till close, uh, after 10, actually. And uh, I actually did watch literally the whole game. I went back and forth. I watched a little bit of the uh, Kings and Warriors just because, in a sense, Steph Curry's more fun to watch now than ever yeah. uh, because he doesn't have the talent around him. So he's got to shoot. There's no doubt he's got to shoot. And Steph Curry's shooting, it's like I don't want to miss that. The way I don't want to miss a Fernando Tatis at bat, I don't know what this kid's going to do, but it's going to be exciting. Even his strikeouts are going to be entertaining. I mean, he just has that ability to just be so super awesome with the home runs and all that stuff. He's not exactly Ozzie Smith at shortstop. I'll, I'll <laughs> give you, I'll give Leading you that. Leading the major leagues in errors. <laughs> I'm 22, so there's no reason why he can't improve uh, by just taking a million ground balls and all that stuff. And then just try to make the simple play. Don't try to make the spectacular play. He's got a ways to go defensively, there's no question. And and at 22, he's going to... He's going to go offensively, but he hits the home run off of Bauer and does the closed-eye deal, and then he always does some kind of scop, hop, skip, and a jump when he touches third base on his home runs. As I put on Twitter, he reminds me uh, in baseball what Deion Sanders was to football. Just don't get busted looking back at the catcher for positioning or uh, the pitch. Okay, well, that second home run by Bauer, that became a big deal. And Dave Roberts, who's not caught up in that stuff, said uh, uh, if he does that, that's an absolute no-no, and we're probably going to have to take care of that. Because the Bauer second home run did look like it was a slider way down low out of the strike zone. And he golfs it, and he golfs it over the center field fence a little towards right center so was he looking back and obviously everything's on film so you can see that and a hiss of all the things you're not supposed to do looking back at the catcher signals is one of them you can have the guy on second base hold up a placard and tell you what's coming and somehow that's more acceptable oh yeah than that's totally the, more acceptable the, the batter uh, peeking back at the signals yeah because at second base, you're supposed to be. I mean, you're going to be watching the batted ball. You're going to. It's just going to be right in your field of view. You're going to see it, as opposed to sneaking around. I know, but you batter. can you can forward it if you should pick it up. And third base coach, first base coach, uh, whomever, as long as you're not using trash cans and whatnot. Yeah. So, but looking back, boy, that's that's an absolute no-no. So, Tatis is going to get drilled a few times in his big league career, and we've got the next 12 to 15 years to look forward to that. When we come back, your feedback, a lot of you weighing in on how the Jazz could possibly have lost that game Saturday. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Portland State has hired a guy by the name of Jace Coburn to be the new head basketball coach. He had some interesting things to say about his own personal work ethic. I don't eat breakfast in the morning so I can come to work hungry. I know my 2003 Chevy Tahoe's got a lot of play this week so far, but like it doesn't have AC and it doesn't have heat. And the reason I do that is so I can practice my mental toughness during the winter when it's cold and I can practice my mental toughness during the summer when it's hot. I never eat breakfast because I want to stay hungry. And then I eat lunch and then I'm not hungry. Sometimes when I feel I have to use the restroom, I don't because I like to feel like I have to use the restroom. But then when I do use the restroom, I use it. What guy? Because mental toughness. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Just clicking around, PK, I just saw a story here during the break. Missouri wrestling is returning to the Big 12. They left the Big 12 for the SEC. The SEC doesn't wrestle. There were hard feelings. The Big 12 wouldn't let them stay. So they went to the MAC. Now they're coming back. And there's rumors out there that somebody who left the Big 12 wants to return. And, of course, that hasn't been done and will be quite the story if it's actually done. Um, And I don't think it would be Nebraska or A&M. Uh, but Missouri, Arkansas, Colorado, Arkansas. Arkansas, you could throw Arkansas being a Southwest Conference team, kind of going back to the Big 12, but not really. If one of those three did, maybe, you know, if one goes back, then that opens the door for uh, a BYU thing and a, a BYU move to the Big 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Is it Missouri? Well, what would they do? They, if, uh, uh, okay, if, what would it do with Colorado then? Because then you got to. You got a uh, yeah. Then the Pac-12 needs a team if it if it is Colorado. I don't think it is. Oh. I don't know. Hon- honestly, if I had to bet, I would bet it's somebody might be unhappy, but it's just talk, and zero of them go back. I think that's the most likely scenario. But if one did and one was unhappy and the money was good enough, you know, it's hard to believe somebody's going to leave SEC to where money you once belong. Yeah. Three of them, three of the five left for SEC money, and Nebraska led for the left for the Big Ten, uh, Colorado for the Pac-12. So, are you going to leave SEC money? Can you not win in the SEC? You know, all questions. We're closing in on it. It's 2021 now, so three to four years here of TV negotiations and conference movement, if it's going to happen. But the next round of TV contracts, all 24 and 25, so we're, we're closing in on it. Well, that would be sweet for BYU, obviously. Yeah. Feedback for uh, today. Are Ute fans going to root for Urban Meyer in the NFL? And Chris says, I'll tune in to see if Urban's face turns Utah red with all the losing he'll be doing that he's not used to. I can't remember if he had any good sideline antics. You know, headset throwing, clipboard smashing. I'll be watching for that. And that's I not think, a cougar. He's got a he's got a Utah football uh, logo as his avatar there. So he's, I think he, Urban's issues are internal rather than external. It might help if he were to be able to let stuff out. I don't know. I'm not. I have no idea. But it seems like he internalized a lot of stuff, which led to some health issues. Maybe possibly. I, I mean, I'm not a doctor here, but I can't remember. I mean, he, all all coaches have some form of expression out on the sidelines, one one way or another. I once had a coach tell me 
that his mother told him, would you knock off all the swearing? Because <laughs> the camera's on you a lot. So who has the least expression? I would go with Andy Reid. Uh, Pretty Bronco. stoic. I don't remember seeing a lot. Bronco, Bronco didn't show a lot either. Yeah, Bronco. He showed the that emotion when they had that great goal line stand against Boise. Oh, that was awesome. Thought yeah. the most driven guy out of him too. And that was the best goal line stand in the history of it's goal line stands. He had impressive. one of those. He had a similar celebration of Virginia that went viral. That's why I saw it. Well, oh. He had one when they when they beat Tech. I think for the first time. Mm. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it was a Virginia Tech game. Yeah, and, and certainly he did when the Beck to Harleen. Yep. As you'd have to be a dead person. <laughs> to, to not. Zero pulse, zero blood uh, yeah, pressure. Yeah, I mean, that was just what a game. What a freaking game that was. That thing will live on for a thousand years. And so, obviously, on that play, he went nuts. And I, I don't remember, but he probably would have had something on the Mangum to Matthews one, too. He did. How, how he was not? he was running on the field, like hands up, like headset flowing behind him, type of a yeah. deal. I mean, how could you not when you, if your team wins on a hail mary? Uh, obviously, on that situation there. So uh, yeah, I, and I and I uh, Lavelle was obviously known for that, and I, I think it's important to have a steady sense. Herb Edwards doesn't do a whole lot. Uh huh. Either. No, I, I'm with you on, on the study thing. A long time ago, uh, Al Luganville pacing the San Diego State headlines, and they made a joke out of it with, like, how many yeah. steps did he take up and down the sideline during a game? But I always thought that is like he was so nervous, is this nervous energy, and that that just goes to the team. Uh, so a, yeah, a little a little study, and as you can have some fire and come off and greet team guys after big plays. I mean, you're not teaching a, a you know a, an English class up there. So you can be a little fired up, but not too high, not too well, low. If you're going to say it, you need to behave it. I think that that was important for Sean Miller. I think he squeezed yes, so much. Yes, good example. And the sweating and all yep. that stuff. And then like it just, you, your players are looking at you. Like, <laughs> and they're getting stressed just looking at you. Yeah, I, I tell this story. I, uh, I was a bowler uh, on an intramural team when I went to Northern Arizona. And I hardly showed up in the regular season, but in the play, they had, literally had playoffs, right? Intramural bowling team. And it was a three-man team, and you had to have the three guys, and you had to be in the dorm and all that stuff. And so I had to go, and I had to get seven pins to win the whole thing. And I stand up there, and I look behind, and, and the guys, they were, they were on their hands and knees. I mean, they were just – I looked at the, both of those guys – Dude, you're making me nervous here. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the seven pins? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I had two. You had uh, two balls to get seven pins. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't that hard. I mean, I could have granny styled it right down the middle. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> throw it right down the middle. I think you'll win it on. Yeah. And I could just remember, I could still remember, we're going back a long time, and I remember getting the ball, getting in my stance, turning around, and these guys literally were on their knees. It's intramural yeah. bowling, guys. Calm down. <laughs> please, 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 please. Yes, we're just killing to... time having fun out here. Yeah, it's not a big you're, deal. You're making me nervous here. <laughs> so I think there is something going on there. I think Todd Graham did it, too. How many, and Rich Rod? Rich Rod was oh, Volcano boy. City on I the sidelines. I really enjoyed watching him. He was so entertaining. <laughs> yes. I mean, relax a little bit here, man. You've got to present some type of image to your players that's important. I mean, we all want to win. They all want to win badly. I get it. But still, man, Rich Rod, if you want explosion, Rich Rod was your guy. 
We're out of time. Hands and Scotty are coming up next. See you Monday.